Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 94 WIP. Good evening, everybody. John Johnson with you on this glorious Sunday evening in the Delaware Valley. Wow, it was beautiful out today, wasn't it? It's a beautiful weekend overall. I think it's going to last a couple more days. It's so bizarre. You can't tell me global warming isn't real. Late Feb, Mid to late February, getting this 50-degree weather. It's a beautiful thing. Almost didn't need a jacket today. I thought about it. I thought about not about pulling out the shorts, but at the last day, I'm like, no, no, you'll just look like an idiot more than you already do. So I held out on the shorts, but a beautiful weather overall to close out the weekend. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, boy, oh, boy, we have a lot we're going to get into over the next four hours. We have some great guests lined up. I have to begin. Um, well, let me let me make a little statement. If you've been angry all day, I don't blame you one bit. If you've had pent up aggression all day, I don't blame you one bit. If you need to get it all out, this is the place to do it, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I, I think it's time we face reality. I personally have been trying to avoid it, thinking that, you know, maybe things will change. There's something I'm not seeing. Maybe I'm being a little too reactionary after each and every game that, you know, there's still plenty of time left. Trying to have, you know, at times having that glass half full. We, we complain a lot, but thinking it's all right, things maybe aren't as bad as I'm making it out to be in my own head. Something just hasn't clicked yet. And, you know, but you know something? I think it's time to call it like it is. And I think the basketball team in this town is full of posers. Nobody here is, none of them are, are, are real contenders. They're just uh, absolute posers, a majority of the players on that roster. Joel Embiid is a poser. For all the talent that man possesses deep down inside, he's like a pillow. He's nice and fluffy and soft like a pillow. No guts. Nothing deep down inside. That driving force when the chips are down, shallow, whatever adjective you want to use to describe it, that's what he is. And I, I hope he hears every bit of this. Granted, last night in Milwaukee, we know the 76ers were shorthanded just five minutes in as Ben Simmons went down, and things are not sounding very great right now. I'm going to get into detail about that, what I've been told. Tobias Harris probably isn't going to play tomorrow night. We saw him tweak his knee last night. He's going to get his, his lickings in a moment. 
But Joel Embiid, for all that trash talk, and I realize you know, you, you, when you watch last night's game, you see how far and away better Milwaukee is than the Sixers. But I got news for you. If you're Joel Embiid and you come out and make the statement, I'm the best, I want to be the best, I'm going to be the best player in the world, and you put on a performance like you did against the Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, come on. And granted, even if Joel last night was peak Joel Embiid, they probably would have lost anyway because he had no help around him. However, a true superstar doesn't fold like a cheap suit when things start to unwind early in the second half of a huge game that last night's game was. They man up and they take over. They do everything they possibly can to keep their team in it. And he began pressing and pressing, got into foul trouble. He resorted to rookie Joel. And it looked terrible. When I, and, for why, and a lot of times I will say, don't look at a stat sheet. Stat sheets can lie. Well, I'm going to give you one stat. Five of 18. Six of seven. The fact that Joel Embiid, after going to, attempting 19 free throws against the Brooklyn Nets, come on, the Brooklyn Nets, attempts all of seven to slow things down, help his team out, stop Milwaukee runs. Embiid didn't do any of that. Five of 18 from the field. That is not a superstar. And I realize he didn't have a whole lot of help. But if you are who you say you are, you need to show it in that type of game. And now we're going to hear, oh, but his lower back's been killing him. You don't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. It's over with. You sign a max deal and you talk a big game, you got to man up and play like a superstar. And if you don't, you get criticized accordingly. And... I'm getting to the point where I honestly wonder if this team can win a championship with Joel Embiid. Because if he doesn't have somebody behind him kicking him in the ass all the time, come on, Joel, you can do it, Joel. He quits. He gives up. And you don't pay somebody that kind of money to be that player. Nobody cares how talented you are anymore. What, because you beat the Nets? Give me a break. A team sub-500 without a true big man? Stop. The mark of a true star goes into a visiting team's arena and says, screw you, I'm going to take over this game and shut everybody here up. And he crumbled in the second half. It'd be one thing if he filled up the stat line, you're like, my God, Joel's doing everything he can, but he's got no help. It was everybody, including Joel. And I think it's time we take the gloves off with Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is a, I've said it a thousand times over since he was traded here last year. He is the consummate professional. Any question you throw at him, he'll answer it. He's honest about things. He can take it. If he's not playing well, he'll talk to you about it. He always makes himself available, which someone who's there, I appreciate. 
But when you sign that type of contract, last night was a prime example of why he was given $180 million. When Ben goes out, or even if he played, Tobias Harris needed to come through with big shots and didn't even come close to doing so. That's a huge problem. He tweaked his knee in the second quarter. I get it. He played through it. But guess what? If you're going to stay in the game, then you got to take the heat. If it bothers you that much, get the hell out of there. This is a huge problem. And on the uh, and boy, last night if if that wasn't the most prime of examples, look at the other side of the court. There is a player on the Milwaukee Bucks making nearly the exact same type of money, having the same type of role as Tobias Harris. The man's name's Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton scored 25 points, went 10 of 15 last night. It was huge for them in the second half. Hit those shots when Tobias Harris couldn't even come close to doing so. And with each and every day, as if you maybe you didn't know this already, the Tobias Harris contract is going to prove to be one of the biggest wastes of time and money. More importantly, time. Screw the money. It's not our money. Of time for every 76ers fan. And what makes it worse, almost everybody saw this coming. How, how on earth did we, that nearly everybody see this coming and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. They just gave Tobias Harris $180 million? Why? The guy's night and day. He's hot or cold. There's no consistency ever. He's not some elite defender. In fact, he's a subpar defender despite his best efforts. $180 million? Why? And if we saw this, how on earth did Elton Brand and his staff not see this? There was nothing more obvious. Then there's good old Al Horford, grandpa, who has become not average, uh, not even invisible, a liability on the court. He has hit a stage, uh, and it has gotten progressively worse, where now he does nothing good, nothing average, but everything poorly. And one of the reasons that he was brought to Philadelphia, in addition to helping out Joel, relieve Joel, not worry about the the sieve defensively when Joel's not in the game, but to help defend the Eastern Conference's best players. (laughs) One in particular was Giannis. And you know that Giannis is going to get his. He's the MVP for a reason. Having said that, there are moments in a game where you say, boom, Al Horford, that's why he's here. Al Horford might as well have been a cardboard cutout on the floor. It was terrible. And I, as I'm looking and I'm trying to break down, and there's times where I'll rewatch a game and look at certain quarters and just focus on Al Horford, and I'm trying to figure it out. I refuse to believe that his game died in a single offseason, that his talent, that all of a sudden he's over the hill in a single offseason. He's not a pitcher. He's not a pitcher in Major League Baseball where one day they have it and then, boom, it's gone. You see a gradual decrease. Al Horford didn't step down two steps. He fell down five flights. And he hit every step on the way down. 
He rolled down him is really what happened. I, 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 I refuse to believe that his talent is suddenly gone, that he's over the hill. He has to be hurt. He has to be. And whether the team's protecting him, and he says, don't tell anybody, I'll work through it, or vice versa, it doesn't matter. At this point, you got to come clean. If you're not healthy, you got to come clean. You're burying a hole so deep, you're never going to get out of it. Between Tobias Harris and Al Horford, these are going to be two horrendous signings that ruin a franchise for five years. And you know what? Tonight, to start tonight's show, I would love a little help from you. Because I, I we need to tell the Sixers how it is. We need to tell Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Elton Brand, and oh yes, even Brett Brown, who is out of answers. And I hate to tell you, I know he's the head coach. He has a say in a lot of these roster decisions. To say he doesn't is is insane. Because even he'll tell you that he and Elton have that dual partnership. They talk about every move they make. If Brett says no, Elton's not going to pull the trigger on a move. So Brett has a say in all this as well. And these guys need to be told the way that it is. Because this season was set with such high expectation, excitement, and it was put upon by the general manager, by the head coach, by the franchise player, who all said, number one seed, 60 wins. Eastern Conference Finals, maybe NBA Finals. All those words were uttered by every one of those individuals at some point leading into the season. And I think the best way to do this because this is the only way we can we can drive the point home. I would love to hear from you, in addition to your thoughts about this team, who, is, who have been some of the biggest posers in sports history? Posers, as in, boy, this is going to be the year. They're so great. They're this, they're that. They talk a good game, and then they crap the bed. Guys you thought were the answer to our prayers the person or people you were certain would bring a championship to Philadelphia. But as time went by, you realized, in some cases, what a fraud they were. Or, my goodness, they weren't nearly as talented as I thought they were. Or they, I, I cannot believe, with all that talent, they couldn't get over the hump because of this one issue they were dealing with. 888-729-9494, pound nine four nine four, and your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. We're gonna get, we have a whole lot we're going to get into tonight. We absolutely are going to get into the Philadelphia Phillies about uh, now that Grapefruit League play is well underway, hearing Fransky in L.A. on the radio. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. The signs of spring, the anticipation of this upcoming season. We are going to get into that. We are going to give uh, credit and kudos to a team that nobody talks about in the Philadelphia Flyers as the show goes on. And, and Elaine Vigneault has done just a superb job, along with Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny and Claude Giroux, et cetera. And we're going to get into the NFL as well. As the new, uh, we're finding out more details about the proposed 17th game and how it's going to be special. It's not going to be just a regular game that they're going to add in, which at first you say, no, but listen, hear me out when we get into it. I think you'll enjoy it. At the top of the 7 o'clock hour, Kevin Cooney is going to join us. 
go to pick his brain. Kevin Cooney is not only with the Phillies a lot of the time, but he is now doing a lot of stuff for the Associated Press as well. Uh, in addition to the Philly Voice and Forbes, you see, I, I mean, he, we sit next to each other at Sixers games. So, he, I mean, he has a, a great sports mind. We're going to pick his brain about what's going on. Top of the 8 o'clock hour, our own Ricky Ricardo, who's down in Clearwater covering the Phillies, is going to join us. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to say one thing as we head into break. You know, WIP has been a, a bit of a source of distraction and entertainment for many years, many, many years. And as someone who has been able to share my thoughts and stories with you over the past 15 years, I hold my relationship with everybody who listens to WIP very dear. You know, every person who calls into the show, who interacts on social media, who gets involved in the text line, every person who has called in over the years, uh, and we've built relationships, you know, not w- just with each other, but with fellow listeners of the station. And I received word about a week ago, and, and I wanted to wait for the confirmation. I didn't have the ability to talk about it this week because I was filling in with the morning show, and I didn't want to, you know, that's, that's their show. I'm just filling in. Uh, this is the first time I've been able to, unfortunately, talk about this. Uh, but one of our great friends of the station and a Regular caller, Mike from Westchester, unexpectedly passed away last week. Uh, he was only 53 years old. And, you know, Mike has been a regular caller to the station for many, many years and was a great guy. I got the opportunity to, to meet and talk with him many times at different functions. Uh, and hearing about his passing has been, uh, it's very hard to digest when, you know, you don't see it coming and just boom, just like that. So, at, at the very least, I could do for someone who was just such a great guy and, listener of the station, you know, the very least I can do is dedicate tonight's show to Mike from Westchester. Jason's going to be up next in NU, 888-729-9494, pound nine four nine four in your AT&T and Verizon Wild, the cell phone, our time, 622. Sports Radio 94, WIP, 2020 Sports. I'm Ed Bankin. The 76ers are dealing with a pair of significant injuries as they get set for the game against the Hawks tomorrow. Ben Simmons left last night's game in Milwaukee. His back continues to be a problem. It flared up. He will miss at least one game tomorrow night. That is the game at home against Atlanta. Now, Tobias Harris is doubtful for tomorrow night. He is dealing with a knee injury. Sixers and Hawks dip off in South Philadelphia tomorrow night just after 7. Phillies down the Pirates today, 4-3 in Grapefruit League action. Jay Bruce contributed with a pair of RBIs. Also, Gene Segura got the Phillies started with an RBI in a four-run first inning. Aaron Nola scattered three hits and did not allow a run in two innings. Phillies will play the Orioles tomorrow afternoon. To stream 94WIP, get our podcast and all the latest stories in Philadelphia sports, go to the all-new 94WIP.com. 2020 Sports on Sports Radio 94WIP. Oh, no, 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 no. Cut the music. They don't deserve this music. After that performance last night, getting whooped the way they did in the second half, folding like the cheap suit, they don't deserve to hear the music. They don't even no, – no, 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 Anthony Foley turns it up. No, they have nothing to be proud of at all. Ed Bankins dancing to the song like they did something great. No, they don't deserve any praise right now whatsoever. Uh, I will say – we're going to go to the phones in just a second. Uh, I, I will update you guys uh, momentarily uh, on what's going on with Ben Simmons and how uh, the fact that we don't know the full details yet is not a good sign. Tobias Harris, you get knee issues, you're doubtful. Not that he's providing a whole lot, but you may not have him at all for a couple games. Just to, This has become the perfect storm of bad things happening to this team all at once. 
888-729-9494, pound nine four nine four, and your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. Jason in Newark's on WIP. Evening, Jason. Hey, JJ. How you doing tonight? Uh, I'm all right. Last night's game, man, it was um, uh, it went from yeah, frustrating and- to painful to you had no emotions at the end. Agreed. And I'm just like you. I'm here to set the record straight. Here's the way it is about with these 76ers, with this, quote, process, end quote. Here's the way it is. Ben Simmons. Okay. Oh, everyone talked about how transcendent he was. He's Magic Johnson. He's, he's LeBron James. You know what the difference between them two was? Talk Both of those players knew how to shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. Me and you could take a jump shot. You want to tell me this player who's running around Hollywood with Kardashian sisters and all this stuff. You can't pull up and shoot a jump shot over guys that are literally half a foot shorter than you half well, the time. And the thing well, is, Jason, it's he, not that he can't; he won't. That's the, and that and that's what makes and it even worse. Because he doesn't want to shoot it because he's not special. He doesn't. He's not hungry. He's already a star. Mm-hmm. Everyone told him he was a star, so he believed he was a star straight up. Now he believes that he doesn't have to do anything. Same with Joel Embiid. Oh, he's already a star. Everybody loves Big Joe. Joe, everybody loves him. Oh, look, he's smiling. All the kids love him. Look how great he is. He won't even hit the gym. You're a professional athlete. you got to take care of your body by keeping it in shape, doing what you got to do, especially a big man where your knees and feet are constantly problems. Don't even get me started on Tobias Harris. You know who Tobias Harris is? Who's that? He's Kevin Love. Remember Kevin Love back in the day? (laughs) He was the big fish in the small pond in Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, look at Kevin Love. He's dominant. He's the next great big player in the NBA. And what happened to him when he went to another team? He was just another guy. I, I, and, you know, and you know something? Though? I think you're almost insulting Kevin Love by saying that because Kevin Love was more of a player yeah, than Tobias Harris Yeah, because at least Harris Kevin is. Love is a champion. At least Kevin Love is a champion, which is more than I can ever say about any of these Sixers. And then the big coup de grace at the end of this, Al Horford. You know what Al Horford is? Hmm. He's the biggest phony of them all. You want to know why? Because he obviously does not care to play with these young guys, whether it's apathy because he realizes that Simmons and Embiid do not want to elevate their level or because he took a look in the mirror and said, you know what, I'm going to cash in one more time and just take it easy because really what's the consequences for him doing anything? They're not going to get rid of him. His contract is untradeable. Right. And he's guaranteed the money. Our basketball contract's guaranteed. He's pretty much guaranteed the money to just sit there and do nothing. Oh, no, no. He's No matter what happens, he will make a minimum of $97 million when all is said and done. It's the, you know, it only goes to 112 with incentives, but he's guaranteed to make $100 million. And I'll close that with this. Hmm. The process was a failure. It was a failure. It was a failure. You want to tell me you're trying to build to a championship? Hmm. We are in no better position now than when we got rid of all these guys Oh, we were tired of being the five and six and seven C back with uh back when Doug Collins. Well, guess where we're at right now? The four, five, six, seven C, the same spot we were in with supposedly better players. Yeah, and the thing is, Jason, thanks, Ben. You made great points. The diff- I will say the difference between what you're saying, uh, comparing it to the end of the Doug Collins tenure and where we are now, this is ten times more frustrating. And it's not just because there was the whole process and the build up to this point but because you know the talent that your two most important players possess. I mean, you know for a fact what Joel Embiid can be. And that's, and that's what makes it even more infuriating. You know what he can be. He is a rare, rare unique talent. I keep saying the same thing over and over again. In the NBA. These type of things do not, players like that don't come around. They're generational. That's what he is, generational. The problem is his mindset is that of a teenager. He's, he's, I mean, there are 
a number of instances over the years that have demonstrated his immaturity, and a lot of it is now being seen in the public eye because this team is expected to win now. And you see Joe, and, and when they are underperforming, especially on the road, and you see Joel doing some of the things he has done away from home, he is now facing criticism that he's never had to face before. He was always, you know, the likable, lovable Joel. He's fun and everybody. He had everybody in the palm of his hand. And when you see him do this now and he's getting criticized, he doesn't know how to take it because he's always been praised. Ever since he was discovered by Luke Mbamute, he was always praised as, my God, you're going to be unbelievable. And it carried with him into Kansas into the NBA. Yeah, there were doubts along the way, but everybody around him saying, you get healthy, you're going to dominate this league, and you're going to get paid handsomely, and you're going to win us titles. And that was force-fed to him, and it continued to. He got paid the lucrative deal. And now when push comes to shove, and they need him more than anything, and he decides he wants to take plays off, and he's getting criticized, he doesn't know how to handle it. So he's rebelling like a teenager would rebel. He's not mentally ready. He may never be mentally ready. And that's what's so infuriating. Uh, quickly, before I head back to the phones, I want to read you a quote real, real quick uh, from last night. After they lost the game, and you heard what I just said about Embiid. You know, he didn't, I mean, he had nobody, this team has nobody to create their own shots. So he, I mean, he was screwed to begin with. And as I said, they, even, if, even if he played his best last night, they probably still would have lost. However, he pressed in the second half, which got him into foul trouble. Then he started giving up on plays defensively. And then he was taking ill-advised shots. After last night's game, listen to what Joel Embiid said. He said the following. This is a quote. I didn't have the attitude I should have had. I felt like I had it, but I didn't show it. How am I supposed to react to that? I didn't have the attitude. This is 48 hours removed from I'm the best player in the world. Because you manhandled the Brooklyn freaking Nets, a sub-500 team with old-ass DeAndre Jordan. And what's his name, who I always forget his name because he's no match for Embiid. What's his name again? Uh, uh, Jared uh, Allen. Ja thank you, Jared Allen. Who's a decent player, but Embiid's got 50 pounds on the guy. See, this is a, a – and a, based on the reactions that uh, – I shouldn't say the reaction. The words that I'm now hearing from Embiid. This, I am now having the serious doubts. Because Brett Brown has exhausted all options with him. Whether you like Brett Brown or hate him, of course, Brett's trying to win. And his relationship with Embiid has, has reached an impasse. Embiid is now costing his own head coach, the only one he's ever had, his job. And he clearly doesn't care. And then you have Ben, which unfortunately, my God, this injury, this injury, man, I, I'm, this is not going to go away. This is not going to be. He's back in two games. I'm telling you right now. Uh, I, I'll, I'll get into it. Bob and or excuse me, Robin Redding's on WIP. How you doing, Rob? I'm alright. How are you? I, I wish I could be better. I wish, I, I, I wish, <laughs> Rob, for one time this year, outside of Christmas, we could, I could come on here and be so happy the Sixers had a monstrous win over a top team in the Eastern Conference at a pivotal point in the season. I mean, last night, Rob, this was a state. This was a moment right there. This was a moment for the Sixers to say, no, 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 don't forget, yeah. it's going to be us and the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Final. Instead, I'm saying, wow, boy, I hope they can get to the second round. Yeah, it's tough to it's tough to say that when Ben doesn't play, but yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. So what do you have on uh, on Ben? Um, it's just uh, whenever I hear talks about Ben or the Sixers in general, it's just a lot about how Ben doesn't shoot. And uh, I seem to be one of the few or only people that think Ben doesn't need to shoot. I think if, when he plays his game and gets to the paint, he's just more efficient. I think if he starts to shoot the ball, he's less efficient. Well, and, uh, but here's the problem. But, but you know what, Rob? Here's the problem, though. If the Sixers, and this isn't Ben's fault, uh, we blame Ben because of the way that, that, that this part is. This is, has to do with roster construction and how poorly the team was put together, how there's no, there's no shooters on this team. So because of that, sure, yeah. it, it presses Ben to do that, and because it's not, it becomes infuriating because he, he flat-out refuses to, and there's nobody else on the court that's willing to do it. Right. I guess the argument is that if he starts shooting, we space the floor better. But I think if he starts shooting and it's uh, just at a poor percentage, it won't space the floor. Like they still, the defenders still won't just let him shoot, right? I mean, and uh, if he hits a couple, they're obviously going to they're not going to sag off on him anymore. And I mean, we can't argue though, Rob. If he decided to start shooting and he makes a couple shots, his game goes to a whole new level. He can become a top five player in the NBA. Having said that, we know how uniquely talented he is and the great and the things that he's amazing at uh, I, I, I don't know I, it, it, Rob as much as I Ben Simmons is is such a unique talent uh, defensively the way his floor vision is the, his flat out disrespect for his own head coach really bothers me when Brett made the statement what a month two months back about I want a three attempt a game eight free throws a game and Ben has done everything but that since that point in time. Ben knows what the head coach said, and the fact that he's flat out refusing, it just uh, that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I agree. It's just uh, I hate to like that's just all you hear about the guy that he doesn't shoot. Yeah, well, I'm Rob. Thanks, man. I appreciate the call. But I mean, remember, I mean, it's it's in the end. I mean, it's 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 kind of important, don't you think? I realize it's an old played out bringing this up every single time you see him on the court. I get it. But when the team is constructed the way that it is, if uh, here I'll, I'll, let me rephrase this a different way that I think you'll this will make you may may make you think a little differently. You're Ben Simmons, right? You see all the great things that we all know, the things that you're able to do on the floor. You see how this team was put together and how there's no shooters. You say, "My God, thank God they brought back Furkan. Who, who would have known he would have been impactful at times?" But other than that. We really don't have any shooters on this team. Josh Richardson's kind of hot or cold. He's been dealing with injury. Tobias Harris kind of is what he is. He's not reliable when push comes to shove, right? There's, it's just Joel and it's me. And if I, if I truly want to win a title right here and now, and I see the Eastern Conference the way that it's aligned, I have to try. The fact that he is not trying says he doesn't care. We're either going to win or lose the way that I play. I'm not changing my game. That's what it says. And for as great a defender as he is, one of the best in the entire league, his unwillingness to shoot, considering the roster the way that it is, makes it worse. Because he's saying, I don't care what anybody says. I'm not shooting the ball. If we lose, too bad. I'm going to look good, though. That's what it says. And it's a horrible look. 888-729-9494, pound nine four nine four. On your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone, Tim's going to be up next, and then you. Now would be the time to jump on board. Our time, 641. Sports Radio 94, WIP, 2020 Sports. Sponsored by the Casino at Delaware Park. I'm Ed Bank, and the 76ers are banged up heading to tomorrow night's game against Atlanta. Ben Simmons had an MRI on his back today. 
He is out at least one game. Meanwhile, Tobias Harris is doubtful. He is dealing with a knee injury. The Sixers and Hawks tip off at 7 o'clock tomorrow at the center. The Phillies picked up a 4-3 Grapefruit League win over Pittsburgh. Gene Segura did his part of four-run first. 2-1. And it's swung on, roped up the middle of base hit. Into center field. One run will score. Romuto around third. They put up the stop sign there. And JT will hold on at third base. Over at first, it's Gene Segura. He's got an RBI single, and the Phillies have a 1-0 lead. That is Scott Franti with the call on 94 WIP. Aaron Nola scattered three hits and did not allow a run in two innings. Phillies play the Orioles tomorrow. Watch and wager on all pro sports at the region's number one sportsbook, the casino at Delaware Park Sportsbook. Lottery agent for the Delaware Lottery must be 21 to play. To stream 94 WIP, get our podcast and all the latest stories in Philadelphia sports, go to the all-new 94WIP.com. 2020 Sports on Sports Radio 94 WIP. All right, welcome back, 94 WIP. John Johnson with you on this Sunday night. Hold on a minute. Wait a minute. Is that Mitch Williams on the line? What's up, Mitch? JJ, what's happening, buddy? What's going on, Mitch Williams? You just happen to be driving around listening to WIP? Yeah, on my way to pick up my boy from baseball. I heard you talking about Ben Simmons and the Sixers. (laughs) I want to look at it from a different perspective, I guess, John, because I watch – Sports in general. Uh-huh. I'm not going to claim I'm a basketball expert, but I am kind of an expert on reading people's body language and what they do yes. when they're performing whatever their sport is. Mm-hmm. And to me, it comes across as Ben is afraid of failing at shooting jump shots, at shooting threes, at shooting his free throws. And that's something, if you're going to be a top five or ten player in a league mm-hmm. and be considered a superstar, how can you have a fear of doing something you've done your entire life? Right. That's the part I don't get. Well, and the way I, you know, I mean, I, to think of it another way, it's like you have this amazing pitcher on your staff. I mean, he is unbelievable. You say, all right, he just needs that pitcher's pitch to, to you know, wrap up each at bat and get the guaranteed out, whether it's strikeout, ground out flat, whatever it is. And if he can master that one pitcher's pitch, he'd be a Cy Young candidate each and every season. But instead he says, no, 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 I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You know, we're either going to – I'm either going to succeed or fail on what I have right now. That's – I mean, that's Ben Simmons. And it's – it's it is – the way – I realize it's slightly different because it's less players, obviously. But just the mindset of that is uh, – it's mind-boggling to me. You know, I'm going off what I watched in the playoffs last year. That was the first time I ever saw Ben play. And I sat there and I watched the game with my son, and I watched him penetrate the lane, get to the goal, and pass the ball off rather than dunk the ball or shoot the ball at all, lay it up, whatever. He's passing it off. Right. If you have a fear of shooting free throws, I mean, nothing for nothing, but my daughter shot 85% free throws <laughs> when she was in high school. Very nice. The last time I checked, <laughs> I think the free throw line is the exact same distance away, 15 feet, uh-huh. and the goal is the exact same height. So how can a professional basketball player not be able to shoot free throws when that's all they've done their entire life? Well, I, it's a fear. Well, you know, well, you know I wonder, too, though, Mitch? Because he's he's surrounded by uh, this group of people, and it may not, it's not necessarily in a bad way that are always supportive of him. I I can't. I mean, I'm sure you've played with guys who had like this inner circle of people, these handlers that were around them at all times. That like, 
you know, they would. Oh yeah, they're they're like those pilot fish that hang on sharks. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, sort of like that. I mean, I, I'm sure you've played. Needless with... to say, I never had an entourage. <laughs> Mitch, you watch a game today, the Phillies game? No, I I can't get it on. Uh, I've got uh, Direct TV, and I can't get the game. Oh man, you gotta be kidding me! So I'm gonna have to co- I have to come up with some kind of different TV package before the season starts. Yeah, you gotta get it together with Xfinity and get that going. You're ma- see the sa- well, Let me ask you this real quick, Mitch, because I know I know you're picking up your son and all. Each and every spring, when you when you, when that first Grapefruit League game came around. Did you get excited going into it, or did you kind of dread having to go through that 25- to 30-game stretch? You know, I absolutely loved it whenever somebody said we're playing ball. It didn't matter if it was spring training, if it was a pickup game. If it was baseball, I was getting excited about it. Hmm. That's great to hear. Uh, Mitch, um, what's uh, – I can honestly tell you, though, John, the later in my career mm-hmm. I went, I did not show up to spring training, uh, like, with my arm ready to go because I knew I had six weeks to get it there. <laughs> I, I did all the other stuff, uh-huh. <laughs> the weightlifting, the bike riding, all that stuff to get ready. But I got my arm ready when I got to spring training. You think it was helpful? So these get To wait? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you spend the entire uh, season breaking your body down. Mm-hmm. So the off season should be spent building it back up, right? And and that's how I spent it. So, but I can promise you, there wasn't one spring training I went to, no matter how hard I worked out in the winter. Mm-hmm. The first day of camp, it felt like I got hit by a truck the next morning. <laughs> Isn't that a horrible feeling when you get up and everything's sore and it hurts to put your shoes on? <laughs> yes, it is, and it's like I'm 55 now, so that's my life every day. <laughs> Mitch. But the one thing I hope that, that Ben Simmons can figure out in this city, mm-hmm. in order for him to be completely endeared to the fan base, he lets it all hang out defensively. I don't question his heart. The only thing I question, it almost comes across now as he's being spiteful right. to his head coach by not taking one three a game. I promise you, when I played basketball, they did not have to ask me to shoot. Right. I got benched for shooting too much. (laughs) That's what I don't understand about him. He's more frustrating to me than Embiid is. uh, Mitch, I'm sure you've played for, you know, managers or, 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 you know, some type of coach that you didn't necessarily care for. Did you ever get into, like, a standoff with any of them who wanted you to do something and you simply did not want to do it? Uh, No, not a standoff. Uh, I had an issue one time in the minor leagues. Jack McKeon was uh, the general manager of the San Diego Padres at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was pitching an A-ball. I was a starter. And believe it or not, I went nine innings. Uh, I walked two. I gave up one hit and struck out 13. Ooh. Ooh. After the game, all McKeon said to me, you can't throw nothing but fastballs in the big leagues. <laughs> and I said, all due respect, Mr. McKeon, I ain't in the big leagues. And I am not going to – if I can throw my fastball by these guys, why would I speed their bat up and throw them an off-speed pitch? Right. right. So we kind of butted heads there, and the next year I was taken in the Rule 5 draft by the Rangers. So 
I voiced my opinion a lot of time, a lot of places I've been, mm-hmm. and I got invited to leave a lot. So <laughs> that's how it, it worked out that way. All right, right. Uh, when you with the morning show this week, Mitch? Wednesday. Wednesday morning, brother. Wednesday morning, Mitch. I uh, thanks for calling, man. I appreciate it. You bet, buddy. All right, I'll have talk. a good night. The great Mitch Williams, who will be with the morning show on Wednesday. I always, uh, always enjoy Mitch's stories. I equate. What Mitch Williams, here's the interesting thing. I wish, I hope one day, uh, for those who listen to WIP a lot and you wonder, you know, what happens when you're off the air and in commercial break, prepping for a show, after a show. I'm hoping one day we can figure out something to get cameras in here and, and, you know, kind of give you the behind the scenes look. Because there are certain people who you work with. uh, It's like this in every job. But we, you know, our jobs here are very public. uh, Who are just so unique and different and, and give you perspectives and sometimes are very raw. Mitch is one of those guys. Like, he and Joe Conklin. Granted, I realized, uh, my goodness, one's an athlete, the other one's a, a, a comedian. But the Joe Conklin off the cuff, very raw, unfiltered, I don't care who's listening, is the funniest Joe Conklin of all. And the Mitch Williams, all right, the microphone's off, can we have real talk, and I want to take this a step further, I mean, you learn so much, and many times it's hysterical. You learn so much about the game from Mitch, and, you know, it's just long story short, I hope one day we can get come, you know, come to some type of agreement to have cameras in here and say, hey, WIP behind the scenes, let's, let's take a glance. Let's squeeze in. Tim's been waiting. Tim, I appreciate it, man. You're on WIP. Okay. Hey, John, you know, great talking. I used to listen to you on overnights. You were great on overnights. Thanks, Tim. Uh, the reason I'm calling is uh, – Let's talk about uh, what would have been if D'Angelo didn't take Tatum and and get false. Tatum's a stud in the NBA right now. Yeah. The Sixers upper management also they uh, they they passed on Bridges. Mm -hmm. They took him and then they traded him for Zaire Smith, who never made anything. Mm -hmm. And then they could have had the Nova guy on Milwaukee, DiVincenzo. Yep. They passed on him. Right. The and the John, number ever, of front he, office issues, uh, general manager wise, Tim, uh, from, you know, Hinky, who made many mistakes along the way, uh, but got in B, but made many other mistakes along the way um, to, as you're pointing out, to Brian Colangelo getting conned by uh, Danny Ainge and everybody saw it coming uh, to, you know, just two drafts ago uh, with El- uh, it wasn't even Elton Brand yet. It was Brett Brown filling that void. Drafting Mikael Bridges and then trading him in order to get Zaire Smith. And, my goodness, Mikael Bridges would make a huge difference. I agree. I agree. Zaire Smith can't even get on an NBA roster right now. It's embarrassing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. John, you know, you you watch the game. You know, Embiid's a good player. I wouldn't call him inspirational, but he plays the game. When he starts getting beat down and double teamed and they start losing by double digits, it looks like he wants to pick up the ball stick it behind them, and just walk home. This yeah. is my ball. I'm yep. out of here. Yep. Do, you, do you get that? I, I do. get it all the time. I do. There are, And it's always – and it's when it happens against a better team, which, is, which makes it and – that te- and that tells you even – and I, I, I'm, I've always been such a supporter of Joel, which is make, which, uh, what makes him about to say even more painful. But that's exactly what I get when it's a, against an upper echelon team, not a bottom feeder – you know, not the no. Nets, not the Hawks, not the Warriors, anybody other team that's uh, that's well below 500. You want to point out 
when it's against an upper echelon team well, the, and they start and he starts to get double teamed and the deficit grows, right. he begins to right. quit on plays. Yeah. Now that, that might happen again when they play Atlanta because Atlanta's got the, the the tremendous guard. You know, he yeah, starts young, yeah. firing up points. It's going to be you know, and he starts going downhill and they start losing and getting double digits. He does the same thing. Yeah, it, it's very worrisome. And I, I, I mean, it, I, I mean, if you're an if you're an NBA player. I mean, you know, you don't do that. You you try to come back. You don't give up. It's just like give, waving the white flag. Yeah, it's professionalism. It's pride. It's everything you would expect a professional athlete to do, which is what makes it all the more frustrating. I, I agree, Tim. All right, Tim, I appreciate the call. 888-729-9494, pound 9494 in your AT&T and Verizon Wireless. Off on the other side, going to be joined by the Coon Dog, Kevin Cooney, who uh, – a Phillies columnist for the Philly Voice, uh, also Forbes magazine, and a little bit of Associated Press work. I've been uh, sitting side-by-side side with Kevin Cooney at the Sixers a lot as of recently, so we get to run the gamut with Kevin, a great sports mind. He's been in, in and out of locker rooms talking to players and front office members for the past 20 years, so it's always great to get his insight on not only what's going on with the Sixers, but uh, his outlook on the Philadelphia Phillies. I also see him a lot at the Flyers and just kind of uh, run the gamut with him to kind of, uh, you know, get us refocused for the week coming up. Don't go anywhere. Time 7 o'clock. Ah, there we go. There we go. Make me feel a little bit better. All right, welcome back, 94 WIP. John Johnson with you on a Sunday night. Anthony Foley, Engineering. Uh, if you guys on hold can just hang on for just a few moments. Joining us on the line, Philly's uh, columnist for the Philly Voice, Forbes Magazine, Working to Be Podcast with Mike Kern. Also, a little bit of Associated Press. His name is Kevin Cooney. What's up, Kev? Hi, John. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Just, uh... Another interesting week goes by in Philadelphia sports, some good, some bad. And, you know, you, um, my goodness, I was just, you know, talking about you, how, you know, you went from covering the Phillies for 15 years to, you know, really opening it up and covering a, a ton of things from the Flyers uh, to a little bit of 76ers now and occasional Eagles. So we really get to uh, run the gamut with you. So l let's start with the Sixers. That's what we've been talking about. Kev, I, I last night's performance uh, against Milwaukee. Yeah, I know Ben Simmons gets hurt and all, but I, I, I think I'm. Although Embiid can only do so much when you don't have shooters around you, but it certainly seemed like he started to give up in that second half. Am I wrong in in that assessment? You know, I think he felt overwhelmed. I think you know, it's tough saying the words "give up," but I think he felt overwhelmed because look, it's. John, you and I have talked about this. This is a flaw of construction with this team. Um, you know, they gave too much money to Tobias Harris. Al Horford, you know, I was joking, is getting cringeworthy. It's almost like well, Vinny LeCavier and Chris Bognol and all those guys that have come in here. They, you, you basically just say, you know, get them away. I don't want to see them again, you know, less than a year in. That's what Al Horford is at this point. And I think one thing that Embiid has done, and when he, he's talked about maybe – not having as much fun and all that. I think he's put – I think he's taken too much to heart. I think he feels like everything mm. – everybody's against him, that, that you know, he, he pouts a lot. And yeah. I think that 
that's one thing that he has to grow up from. But, you know, John, I think the bigger question in all of this, and I think it speaks to the maturity level of Simmons and Bede, and to be honest, the whole franchise, is why do these guys continue to have these type of incidents that has happened to Simmons now coming off the All-Star break? Mm-hmm. Now, what is going on here? Now, Simmons has never been a, a guy who's been mainly hurt. But, you know, and B comes off the All-Star break, gets hurt last year. You know, and B played that one game a couple years ago on, on ESPN against the Rockets, and then he's never seen again. Mm-hmm. And now you're having Simmons do this. And B did look last night like he was hurt. There's something wrong here. There's just a there's a problem with the way that this organization and the players themselves are handling situations like this. And right. I think that is a really risky road for them to go down. I think that's the bigger issue than just that Joel Embiid last night, maybe in the second half of the game that got out of hand. Yeah, the injuries continue. These odd injuries keep happening, and there's a tr- there happens to be a trend to them. Uh, let me let me jump over to this. If we're not going to put it, Embiid and Simmons aside for a moment, Elton Brand and his staff, uh, which includes, I think, to an extent, Brett Brown, Signed two players to a lot of money, and neither one is not producing nearly to the level that the money he's making. The other one might as well be a cardboard cutout on the floor. Let's start with Al Horford. I, I, in my opinion, maybe I, I could be totally wrong. Maybe I'm trying to convince myself of this. I refuse to believe that his game has suddenly disappeared and he's gone over the hill in a single offseason. I, I, there has to be some type of injury that maybe he's hiding. Uh, how do you, what do you think is going on with Al Horford? I think he's in an ill-conceived system for him. And what I mean by that is, look, when you have Horford and Embiid on the floor at the same time, that's an invitation for any guard to basically just run right by him. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are a team, and, and this is why I blame the system more than the player, although the player, certainly his performance has decreased just with age, it looks like in my mind. But... <clears throat> they're trying to win the 1988 NBA title. Yeah. yeah no outside shooters. Uh, very, very stilted, you know, game. They're trying to physical teams and bully ball was the talk at the beginning of the year. You can't win a title that way in this league anymore. You really can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in the era with Golden State, and I get that, you know, the good teams sometimes buck trends and find their own path and everything. I mean, this isn't the Sixers bucking a trend. This is like them, you know, swimming upstream, yeah. and, and they're meeting the resistance that you're expecting. Look, say what you want about Milwaukee and whether Milwaukee's built for the long term. The fact that Milwaukee does have legitimate outside shooters to complement Giannis is is an example of it working the right way, where you're built around like a, a strong, a strong guy who could drive and, and, and be a force inside. The Sixers aren't that. The Sixers are just everybody, yeah, you know, get in the paint, including Simmons when he's healthy, and you just can't you can't operate that way anymore in the modern NBA. Well, let me. And I'm glad you bring this up because you talk about the perimeter shooters and the Milwaukee having shooters versus the Sixers not. Last night was a prime example of two players who were brought in to fill a very specific role, both making near identical contracts: one five years, one eighty; one five years, one seventy eight. Tobias Harris, and Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton was huge for Milwaukee in the second half last night. Finished with 25 points. Where Tobias Harris, in typical Tobias Harris fashion, 
uh, was he had an off game. Granted, he did hurt his knee, but he stayed in the game. So if you're going to stay in the game, you have to produce. Um, I, I Maybe many are reluctant to properly criticize Tobias Harris because he's a nice guy. Should we be, you know, really, I don't want to say giving it to him more, but, I mean, he's making a lot of money to be something he's not. You know, you're saying this, and I'm drawn back to my days with the Phillies, and I'm going to use this example of Bobby Abreu. Bobby Abreu was a good player, but you couldn't build your franchise around Bobby Abreu, and you had to know in big moments what Bobby Abreu's limitations were. Right. I think it's kind of that way with Tobias Harris. I think that, you know, they overpaid him, and he's not – a guy who really you could count on if you lose one of your stars. And, you know, at this point, I, I can't blame Tobias Harris for the salary that Eldon Brand and, and Brett Brown and Josh Harrison and the company paid him. But, you know, this is just the limitations of what the flaw, the flawed construction of this team has been. Yeah. Yeah, just poor decisions made by the front office overall and the the roster construction. Kevin, let me jump over to the Phillies a little while we have time. And, and by the way, one, one more before before you get into that. Uh-huh. John, and you're down there a lot more than I am. They have the air of a team that believes they've actually done something. Yeah. And that's a major, major problem, I think. They, they haven't won a division yet. I mean, this is what they have to really come to grips with. They haven't shown anything yet in their banners of what they've done. I would agree. They they act like they've won something they haven't. And quite frankly, saying I've gotten to the second round doesn't mean squat. It means you're just like most teams in the NBA who've done it and have never gotten further than that. You're right. There's this, there's that air of uh, you know a- accomplishment when there is none. Now, I with the Philadelphia Phillies, um, I- I'm trying to figure out, and, you know, we have uh, 28 or 29 more uh, Grapefruit League games to play before they even head up north. <clears throat> but we're only two games in. But I'm trying to figure out as they, uh, you know, get into the, the heart of the Grapefruit uh, League schedule, who we're going to see the most of at second base and who we'll see the most of at, at third base. How do you think that might play out? You know, I find it interesting that I find it interesting that Girardi has started with King uh, with Kingery at second and, and Segura at, at third. Mm-hmm. And Matt Gelb actually had a really good uh, comment today on, on Twitter from me from the Athletic. And Gelb's comment was, you know, one of the benefits of having Segura at third is the fact that when you do an extreme shift, well, basically Segura's playing short and it's his old position. Uh, you know, if you move him at second, then you're kind of throwing everything out out of the way, and Gregorius probably ends up staying on that side and, and, and everything. Look, there's going to be some tinkering here. I think I won't be surprised if it's, okay, you get Segura in this setup for a week, and then you see Kingery in the setup for a week, and then you kind of give the final three weeks to one, one of these guys going forward. I think their best option is to leave Kingery at second. Mm-hmm. I think Kingery is the guy who is – more vital to their future. He projects better at second base. I think that this is what they kind of had this plan for him designed to be all along is him take over for Cesar Hernandez. And to be honest, if Gene Segura doesn't live up to things, they're going to have to eat money anyway. Sure. And so what they'll have, you know, it kind of makes it easier to just put out bone there. And you're, you're not rotating as many pieces away because you're not going to get rid of Kingery. So if Boom comes up, 
Kingery has to move somewhere, then you're probably moving either Segura out somewhere or you're moving Kingery the center and you're going to have to move Hazley in. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just so much cleaner <laughs> if Segura is at third. Right, right. Well, I mean, well, I you brought up Bohm, so I'm going to go right to that direction now. Um, I, everybody, there are far too many people who don't know what the hell they're talking about and say, oh, Alec Bohm's here. He's going to be, he's going to do great in spring training. He's going to start uh, April with the team. And, nope. he, and, nope. and, and, oh, and when he gets here, he's the next great third baseman in this league. And, you know, people said the same thing about J.P. Crawford, about, you know, about numerous prospects over the years, simply because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They've never, you know, spent time in a clubhouse with an organization, gotten to understand how it truly works. I mean, I, let me ask you this then, Kev. Best case scenario, Bohm looks good uh, in uh, throughout Grapefruit League play. Best case scenario, at what point do you think he might join the big league club? June 1. Okay, so June. June 1, I think, would be the earliest because, look, again, the scurred part of this equation is not small because they would have to work out how, how to deal with that contract, okay, which they have multiple years left on. There's also the part that Alec Bohm – they don't want to start the arbitration clock on them. And, yeah, our arbitration could look that different in two or three years when it's time for Alec Bohm to get to that point because the new collective bargaining agreement's up at the end of the next season. Um, but but they're not going to – look, the, the Cubs did this with Chris Bryant. This is not a uncommon thing for, for guys who are top minor leaguers who may even have made the club out of spring training to wait about a month or two just so the clock doesn't tick as much. So I wouldn't – there's, I don't see any way Alec Boom starts a season in Philadelphia, and probably doesn't see doesn't see at least two months at Lehigh Valley before he would come up. Right, and that's the best case scenario. Everything goes For, well, barring injuries. Right, barring injuries. I mean, if there's if Kingery and Segura both go down, and Boom's laying it up with the Iron Pigs, you know, at middle of May, maybe doesn't change. Yeah, it could, but I, I just don't see it right now. Final question I have for you, Kevin Cooney, and has to do with the NFL. Now, it is possible. It's, it seems like there may be a setback or two, but it's still very possible uh, that beginning in September, we will only have, or I should say August, only three preseason games and 17 regular season games. Uh, now, seven uh, playoff teams in each conference, 14 overall versus the 12. I know, Kev, you're more of a traditionalist when it comes to some sports. Do you like the idea of adding the 17th regular season game? You know, and the next time the NFL talks about, you know, per player health and everything, it, it just turn the channel. I mean, <laughs> because seriously, how many starters play more than one preseason game anymore? Right. Okay. If you combine, if you combine all four games together, they play maybe one preseason game. Okay. So you're basically just knocking one preseason game off the top, making that a regular season game where the guys are going to have to play a full quarter anyway. The math doesn't end. The fact that they're looking at capping their salaries for that game, Mm -hmm. that it's supposed to be like $300,000 is the most that you can make off that game. Right. Come on. I think that's ridiculous. And if the NFLPA gives in on this one, then then they'll they'll stand for anything, really. And I just just think that there has to be a line, line drawn. And the owners. If I was a member of the union, I would wonder why the owners want this. Uh, why the owners want this so badly? And the reason the owners want this so badly is they're coming up on television negotiations. Mm-hmm. They're looking to maximize the product, and they're looking to collect the most for themselves. 
not the players. Right. Uh, I totally agree. His name is Kevin Cooney, Philly's columnist for the Philly Voice, Forbes Magazine, Working the Beat podcast with the one Mike Kern, and, oh, by the way, Associated Press. Kev, if you, uh, by the way, if you want to follow him on Twitter, which you should, at Kevin Cooney. Kev, thanks, man. Am I going to see you this week? Uh, I have nothing on deck before I uh, head to Florida. So, oh, must be nice, real nice, Kev. You're gonna? Are, are I'll you... be hanging out with Mr. Ricardo, I'm sure. <laughs> Kev, thanks, man. I appreciate it. No problem, John. All right, eight 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 seven two nine ninety four ninety four pound nine four nine four, and your AT and T and Verizon wireless cell phone. I will say, <clears throat> the there has been new proposals that are you know kind of being leaked out there in terms of adding that 17th NFL regular season game. One, I. I I think I'd, I don't like, I think I'd love it, but hate it in the same breath. I'll explain why on the other side. 888-729-9494, pound 9494 in your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. Now would be the time to jump on board or times 721. Sports Radio 94, WIP, 2020 Sports. I'm Ed Bankin. The 76ers are banged up heading to tomorrow night's game against Atlanta. Ben Simmons had an MRI, and he is out for at least one game. Meanwhile, Tobias Harris is doubtful as he deals with a knee injury. The Sixers and Hawks tip off at 7 o'clock tomorrow. The Phillies picked up a 4-3 Grapefruit League win over Pittsburgh. Gene Segura did his part, as did Jay Bruce in a four-run first. Three and two. Count is full on Jay Bruce. And it's swung on and hit deep down the right field line towards the corner. That ball will be in for a hit. It bounds against the sidewall. It stays in play. Both runs score. Jay Bruce jogging into second with a two-run double. And the Phillies have an early 3-0 lead. That is Scott Fransky on 94 WIP. Aaron Nola scattered three hits and did not allow a run in two innings. While Jay Bruce did his part with a pair of RBIs, Phillies play the Orioles tomorrow. To stream 94 WIP, get our podcast and all the latest stories in Philadelphia sports, go to the all-new 94WIP.com. 2020 Sports on Sports Radio 94 WIP. I am a people person. Sometimes. It is remarkable how you, maybe it's not as you get older, but, uh, you know, you learn how much, I don't know, we, we live in such a uh, shallow society now due to, you know, social media plays a huge part, how we kind of nitpick every little thing and everybody has to have an opinion one way or another about something. And if you don't have an opinion, that means you're having an opinion. And it, my goodness, the, it's just so over the top today. It's only going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, so I wanted to... Um, the last thing I talked to Kevin Cooney about is something I wanted to bring up with you guys, which I find I, I'm not totally sure how I feel about it. On one hand, I love it. On the other hand, I hate it. And I'll tell you why. So the NFL, you probably heard this already. It was a, it's been a topic for a couple days. Um, the proposal to add the 17th regular season game, which would be implemented as soon as this coming fall. So you have 17 regular season games and only three preseason games. And with that, instead of having your four division winners and two wildcard teams, there would be three wildcard teams, and only the top seed in each conference would get a bye, as opposed to the two top teams. So when I first heard that, I didn't necessarily like it. Because I, I'm starting to say, I'm like, all right, well, you know, everybody loves football, I get that. But I... Then I started thinking about the NBA and the NHL where you have like teams that have no right being in there getting into the playoffs, and you have to earn your right to play in the playoffs. So I was being a bit of a traditionalist about that. However, uh, there has been some 
developments in terms of that 17th regular season game, which I find interesting. So one of the proposals for this, because the thing that I immediately thought, I'm like, wait a minute, 17th regular season game. So who gets home field? You know, I mean, you're supposed to have eight and eight. So now you have the odd number. How is that going to work? I mean, that's that can be a huge disadvantage for a team if everything's on the line in that 17th regular season game and through, you know, luck of the draw, they end up being the away team. So one of the proposals is that 17th game would be at a neutral site. Now, granted, that neutral site could be London, could be Mexico City, could be some city in Canada, could somewhere other than the United States, which on its principle I hate because it's just the NFL trying to get make more and more and more money as if the $15 billion they made last year wasn't enough. That I do not like. However, that wouldn't be true for most teams because there's only so many uh, games you can have outside of the country, and they usually use them for the teams that you know lack a, fan, a home fan base that fill up the, uh, the stadium. The other proposal had to do with geogra- you know, uh, geographically who, uh, where you are located. In other words, let's use the Eagles as the example. Uh, under this proposal, the 17th regular season game not, not, not necessarily that it would be the final game of the season, but the 17th game itself um, would be against your geographic rival, non-division. So it couldn't be the Giants, couldn't be the Redskins, couldn't be the Giants. It could very well be the Steelers. It would be a cross-state rival. And you would play at a neutral site. So for these two teams, I would think Happy Valley. Play at, Penn, at Beaver Stadium, which on it, when I think about that, that would be very cool. You get 100,000 people, two fan bases, you know, a, a perfect drive for both fan bases to take this in, have 100,000 people. It, it would be like, you know, I mean, like a Pennsylvania Super Bowl, so to speak. Granted, it's a regular season game, but it would be very cool. Just a very unique experience that you would get each and every year. Granted, you might have to change that because if you're playing the AFC North one year, you'll face them anyway. Uh, so there have to be some stipulations within how they do this. But you could do stuff like that. Like if I think of, you know, I think of the Cowboys, they would play the Texans. You know, the Giants and the Jets would play each other. You know, maybe Baltimore and maybe the Ravens and Redskins would face each other. Stuff like that. And I think that would be very, very cool. And I, if you're going to make it unique, I think that's awesome. Uh, and I would love the build-up to that. I mean, it would be like a miniature Super Bowl, albeit it's a regular season game. There'd be a huge build-up to it. If you decided to attend the game, it'd be very, very cool, and they'd be like all – it'd be a Super Bowl atmosphere. They'd be tailgating days on end leading into it. I mean, it's Happy Valley, for goodness sake. Now, the here's where I'm hesitant uh, about that, although it's a great idea on one hand. On the other hand, the NFL is one greedy – greedy, you know what. I mean, just think of the most hard word because that's what the NFL is in the end. They're, they're not doing the, – the reason they're doing this isn't because, oh, it would be a great product for the fans. It's no. How much more money can we make simply by adding a single game? And this is the mindset. And it, Now let's take this Eagles-Steelers idea, right, because this would be implemented in, the, in you know, probably 26 uh, – excuse me, 13 of the 16 matchups. Uh, on this special week. The NFL would take this opportunity and 
jack up the prices on everything for that game. You think it'd be regular prices to see Eagles and Steelers at Happy Valley? Even though it has 100,000 seats, you say, well, you keep it regular price, they're going to make a ton of money. Oh, no, 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 no. They're not going to be this. They're going to jack up those prices to no end. It's going to be insane. I don't mean Super Bowl prices, but you know what I mean. Concession stands will be all of a sudden outrageous. Merchandise, merchandise, all oh, unique, once-a-year experience. Buy the T-shirt, buy the hat. All NFL emblems all over it so they can make, they get their hands in that cookie jar. And the reason I that I'm now opposed, on the other hand, I'm opposed to this, is because they will ream every single dollar they can out of the fan who attends that event. Every single fan. If they could pick you up, take you upside down and shake you to get every dime out of you, that's exactly what they will do. And granted, the NFL is losing a fourth preseason game under this proposal. And teams love the preseason because it costs them nothing. Players don't get paid, and they profit on the ticket sales, on concessions. I mean, it is, it is such a cash cow, the preseason, as much as fans hate it. But remember... If they were to have this event, even if the two teams split the profits, they will make 25 times the amount of money they would on this than they would a preseason game. I mean, just just uber amounts of money off of that single game alone. So I, I find it fascinating because I, I love the idea. On its principle, it's a very cool idea. You know, oh, well, if you're going to have a 17th game, make it different. Don't make it like any other season. You know, do like some type of geographic rival to where you know they'll play a team that's close to them that normally it would just be a regular season game and not have meaning. Now we can have it mean something once a year. It'd be kind of a side thing, like a you know a side little bowl tournament that everybody can get into locally, and it'd be great. The NFL doesn't give a, doesn't give a you know what about that. They will play like they do, but they want to make that dollar. If they really want to make a big deal out of it, you, drop the ticket prices for these games because you know darn well. Wherever these neutral sites are, it will be more than the fifty to 60,000-seat uh, stadium that most NFL teams play in. They will find whatever college stadium is nearby that holds as close to 100,000 as possible in attempts to fill that bad boy up. So if they are going to do that, and they are going to make even more money already, they have to help the fans out. They have to lower ticket prices because you're still going to make a ton of money. I say that like it's going to happen because the NFL does not care. Every fan can say, I can't afford it. They'd say, well, too bad. Find a way to afford it. We're not lowering any prices because in the end, it's still a business. All right, 888-729-9494, pound 9494 on your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. Now, I, we have been talking. That's the first time I've, I've talked about the NFL uh, tonight, we for the first hour, we talked all Sixers. And it was just berating them and saying it like it is and how a lot of these guys are posers. They play it being something that they're absolutely not. And that performance in Milwaukee was disgusting. You had, in addition to that, injuries. By the way, apologies. I meant to bring this up earlier. Everybody, a bunch of people have hit me up on Twitter saying, you said you were going to mention about Ben Simmons, and you haven't done it. All right, I'll do it right now. So Ben, as you know, left about five minutes into the opening quarter with that back pain. And it wasn't routine. He left and he never came back. Um, dating back to last Wednesday, which was a, the first which was the final practice before 
they took uh, before they resumed play on Thursday, before they put, took on Brooklyn. Brett Brown had said that Ben Simmons injured his back going up for a rebound at practice. Okay, if you want to take ben, uh, Brett at his word, that's fine. There has been some conflicting reports, not from the team, that in fact Ben hurt his back playing in the All-Star game and have pointed out a particular play citing it. So that, that's to your judgment whether you want to believe the coach or uh, the footage that you saw at the NBA All-Star game. We move forward. So he leaves last night. Um, you hear the report, I believe it was Woj that had the report, that he seemed um, disappointed at whatever the examination he received at the arena in Milwaukee. Uh, so those of us who cover the team were notified earlier today um, that Ben will receive further evaluation tomorrow, as in Monday, and then we will be um, informed of his status moving forward. So I'm assuming uh, we'll find out tomorrow night before the game. He is out tomorrow night. This is where it's very concerning. When you try to follow it up, uh, like myself, I mean, we're j it's just due diligence. Like, you know, tell me more. I need to know more information. You can phrase it a thousand different ways. Like, why don't we not know yet? Um, and we're not getting any answers. This is concerning. Because if it was sim as simple as, yeah, he retweaked his back. They would have told you, you know, the back stiffness is the lower back pain. He's going to miss a couple games. They would keep it very simple. And we'd know what it is by now. We would have known this afternoon. It would have been done and over with. Wow, we're disappointed. I can't believe it. But we're going to have to sit on our hands for a couple games. The fact that we do not know anything as we sit here on Sunday night, you know, more than 24 hours removed, and you know they ran the gamut of everything on him. The extra, you know, the reason we're not going to find out till tomorrow night is because they're trying to figure out what to do. That is concerning. It's very concerning. And I, I will leave that to your interpretation. I'm not saying season-ending because I simply do not know. But in my opinion, it doesn't mean two or three games either. It means uh, much more than that. And I would like to hope, because uh, normally th they will, they'll notify us that tomorrow, um, maybe not tomorrow afternoon, but tomorrow night, maybe around 5 p.m. Uh, before we t uh, speak to Brett Brown, that we will be informed on what's going on with Ben Simmons uh, moving forward. Which, by the way, if you... Want to be one of the first to know, by all means, I, I tweet it as, as soon as I get the information, at John Johnson WIP, J-O-N Johnson WIP, and I'll, I'll hit that up as soon as I can before I jump on here on the air and I jump on, I'll, I'll you know probably call Marks and Reese or Joe Giglio and then hit up our sister station, uh, KYW News Radio. Uh, but I'll notify everybody as quickly as I can on Twitter when we receive the information. Uh, but that's it's, it's concerning. You know, when you see the way the team played without Ben, not that he would have been the difference maker, but you know the impact he has on a game. The fact that we do not know, uh, and the fact that Tobias Harris is doubtful. If he's doubtful, he's not playing tomorrow night. We, he had that non-contact injury with his knee. He hit the ground. He stayed in the game. Uh, but a knee contusion, he's probably going to – my guess is he'll miss a minimum of two games. Not that he's playing well anyway, but still. Uh, with both of them out, you're going to see Al Horford jump back into that starting lineup. 888-729-9494, pound line 494, and your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. Top of the 8 o'clock hour, Ricky Ricardo is going to join us live from Clearwater. Get an update on all things Philadelphia Phillies. Top of the 9 o'clock hour, our own Ed Bankin, who covers the Philadelphia Flyers for us in KYW News Radio. Going to pick his brain about the team that nobody's talking about who may go on a deeper playoff run than the 76ers. Our time 741.
Sports Radio 94, WIP, 2020 Sports. The 76ers are banged up heading into tomorrow night's game against Atlanta. Ben Simmons had an MRI. He's had at least one game. Meanwhile, Tobias Harris, as you heard from John Johnson, doubtful, but the guess is there's a good chance he will not play tomorrow night. Sixers and Hawks will tip off at the center at 7 o'clock tomorrow. Phillies picked up a 4-3 Grapefruit League win over Pittsburgh. Gene Segura did his part in a four-run first. 2-1. And it's swung on, roped up the middle of base hit. Into center field. One run will score. Romuto around third. They put up the stop sign there. And JT will hold on at third base. Over at first, it's Gene Segura. He's got an RBI single, and the Phillies have a 1-0 lead. That is Scott Franzio, 94 WIP. Aaron Nola scattered three hits and did not allow a run in two innings. While Jay Bruce had a pair of RBIs, Phillies will play the Orioles tomorrow. To stream 94 WIP, get our podcast and all the latest stories in Philadelphia sports, go to the all-new 94WIP.com. 2020 Sports on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sunday night in the Delaware Valley. Welcome back. John Johnson with you. Getting ready for uh, ready for a uh, what should be a very interesting week of uh, Philadelphia sports. Phillies now in the one thing it's so great about spring training. I, although baseball can be very um, long and exaggerated at times, once it's gone, you don't. It's one of the, you don't realize how much you miss it until it's gone. In terms of you always you have a game every night, every night, every night, no matter what day of the week it is. You have a game to watch. Spring training's not the same. It's all during the day. I get all that. But it, it's wonderful from that sense to have baseball back, which is one of the things um, I did want to spend some time with you tonight. Top of the 8 o'clock hour, by the way, Ricky Ricardo is going to join us. Uh, he's covering the Phillies down in Clearwater, also doing a little bit of Yankees work, as he is a Yankees play-by-play man. And I, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about, you know, the importance of the new manager. And... I, there has been a lot of uh, mixed reviews in terms of the impact, or I should say mixed opinions, on the impact of a new manager with this team. And because I've heard, you know, you hear all the time, well, a great manager can make a difference of 10 games. And if I look at the Phillies last year, you know, if they go from 80 or 81 wins to 90 or 91, that's a playoff team right there. That's a huge jump, you know, with a different manager. And then I've heard others and these are individuals who cover the team who say, yeah, it's great, and it'll bring a different mindset. However, you know, the players are the ones that have to, quite frankly, go out there and, and do the job. And I don't think, you know, although the, the, the manager may be correct, the roster isn't, or the talent's not there, and therefore it may not make a difference at all in the, in the win column, which I, it's so disheartening to hear, which is why I wanted to talk to you guys about this, in addition to get your opinion on what you think, uh, whether you think it makes a difference or not in terms of winning more games. So the only way I can relate this to you is through the experience I've had I had covering Gabe Kaplan. Like for those who don't know, like as soon as the Sixer season ends, boom, right across the street uh, to the Phillies where you're in there all summer and some of the fall. So <laughs> the Gabe Kaplan uh, experience was as you'd expect. Just He wasn't a bad guy. He was just so different and odd and from a managerial standpoint, he was horrible, absolutely terrible. He was coined as this great communicator and relationship builder. I can tell you for a fact, he was the exact opposite of that. He was the, I know what it's like to be a player. 
You guys can manage yourselves. I'll let you guys take care of it. You know, I'm going to stay out of it, and, and I'll manage the games according to how they need to be managed. But you guys do your thing. No relationships, none whatsoever. And it was very obvious from the beginning to the end. In-game, strategically, I thought he was terrible. He relied too much on the numbers and not enough on the gut feel. And unfortunately, the handful of times he tried to go gut feel, it ended up he ended up making the wrong decision. So, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> Gabe Kapler was a, a very interesting guy, and I tell this story all the time just to kind of relate how, I don't know, different he was and how players probably responded to that. So apologize if you've heard this before. I've done it. I've said I've talked about to Angela with this on the morning show. So there was a random time this past August. We're covering a Phillies game. And the way it normally works, let's say it's a seven o'clock game at Citizens Bank Park. Um, you'll go to the manager's office around between three and three thirty. It all depends. Like the locker, the clubhouse usually open from three to three thirty. Uh, you might talk to the manager before, talk to after. You go to, to his office. He has an office that's right across the hall from the clubhouse where the players are. And when you go in Gabe Kapler's office, you know, it's a typical office. There's a couple monitors in there. He's got a desk and all that. And then he has, you know, there's some artwork on the wall. And then there's a couple picture frames on the wall. And Gabe was so unique and so odd and so different. You know, Gabe married guys, got kids. You know, I mean, it's your office. You can decorate it as you want. So rather than have, you know, the pictures on his wall, which were right next to his desk, you'd think, oh, they might have his kids or him as a player or something along those lines, something personalized to him. Well, <laughs> he had stuff personalized to him, but not in the way you think. So the picture closest to his desk, which was literally right above his desk, uh, when you look in there, it was a picture of Albert Einstein, <laughs> which he put in there. And the reason, not only is it just different not like he had one of Gandhi, one of Nelson Mandela. He's inspirational people that helped him. Um, what made it what made it become odd is as I'm pointing out this random game in August, and we're in his office. You know, it's it's the typical pregame, ask a couple questions. You know, stuff you're going to use for that night to either write about or talk about on the radio. And I asked him a question about. Uh, make about his managerial style. I, to be honest, I don't know that I can't remember the exact question. And it was one of those make you pause and think before you answer type of questions. So what he did was when I asked it, he paused it. He paused and he said, hmm. And then he turned and he looked at the picture of Albert Einstein and then looked back at me and answered. But I, 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 it was the most odd thing I had ever experienced. Like, he looked to the picture of Einstein for inspiration to answer the question properly. And normally I'd say, well, maybe it was just, you know, he was just staring you know, with a blank stare to kind of get to think about the question. No, it was very purposeful. And it, just, it, it describes Gabe Kapler in a nutshell. Just very different. Not a bad guy, but different and a horrible manager. So we move forward now to Joe Girardi. And there is this mixed opinions on the impact a new manager can have. Now, granted, think about how I just told you how Gabe Kapler was. And you think if he's with that, <coughs> excuse me, like that with me, some random guy covering the team, imagine like how he's like with the players. And you've heard the stories throughout the season of different things of not communicating, so on and so forth, in addition to not managing correctly in-game. So you enter Joe Girardi. 
The man's got a resume. Not only did he play the game, he's got a resume as a manager. He's got a World Series crown, World Series ring. He's been in both the dugout, on the field, and in front of a microphone as a member of the media at one point. So he knows all different phases and how to handle everything properly. So if you're a player under him, you're like, my God, this guy, I, I, I soak in every word he has to say. He's been there and back. He understands it. If I follow his directions at the plate, at the field, in addition to his staff, of course, and, and manage the media according to how he might suggest if I asked him, you know, we're going to succeed. So that in itself, I think, is a huge difference from when Gabe was here. Another thing is this. A lot of people don't realize, because you're looking at it from a different point of view. It's nobody's fault. It's one thing that I never picked up on until I was there. Uh, you know, this will be, I think, my eighth season covering Phillies baseball. Until I was there regularly, that it really hit me. For baseball players, even though you're getting paid life-changing money to play a kid's game. I mean, it truly is. To simplify down to that, it's, that's what it is. However... When you're in the moment and you're in the midst of a grind of 162 games and maybe more, it's really 192 if you count spring training. When you're playing from February till earliest October, that's eight months of baseball, five to seven days a week, it can wear on you. And I know you're saying, well, so what? I work five days a week, six days a week. Hold on. It's a little different. Of those eight months, you're traveling for four to five of them. And you're away from home for one, two, three weeks at a time sometimes. And you're living and breathing baseball. This is your livelihood. And each and every game, you're judged accordingly. Whether it's good or bad, so you're always looking to improve. You're always thinking about it. It can drive you insane at times. Now, we're all human beings. And, and this isn't a justification not to boo somebody or to cheer somebody over somebody else. I'm trying to explain it to you. This is where the importance of a manager makes all the difference. And Joe Girardi has been known for this and made it very clear when he was hired that he's a, he's a people person. He likes to build relationships with players. Because when you're in that grind of a season, you see your teammates and your coaches more than you see your own family. You know, for six to eight months a year. So these are the people you want to become closest with. So when you're in a slump or you're just you're depressed, you haven't been home in a while, you know this is your livelihood, but you know when you're in the middle of it and you're, you know, in the middle of August or something, as much as you have a goal in mind for your team and for your season, you know, you get into these moods where you get a little depressed. You're you're living this grind, it wears on you mentally and sometimes physically. This is where the rapport with a manager can make all the difference in the world. This is something that they never had. This is something that Reese Hoskins will most definitely benefit from. Where someone like Zach Eflin and Aaron Nola will most definitely benefit from. You know, some of your young players. The King, my God, Scott Kingery. Scott Kingery played second base. <laughs> that was who. It's the first time he's played second base. He's played every other position. You, you wonder how he's still in Major League Baseball. You think the way they threw him around with such disregard, they could have ruined him, but he's still here. And Joe Girardi, right off the bat, put him at second base, his natural position. Do you know what that does for a player? Their mindset, the relief they have, 
especially for a young guy like Kingery, he's going to thrive. He had a horrible stretch those final four months of the season, but look where he was all over the place. I don't care if he was playing center field for a while. That's not his position. He's trying to learn it. And then in addition to that, and getting to know your players, knowing what makes them tick, getting the most out of them, knowing how to get the most out of them. One guy might be a family guy, misses his family, and Joe Girardi will talk to him about it and say, think of them when you're at the plate. Think of your kids watching you, your wife watching you, your girlfriend watching you. That moment that you make this huge play. Some guys, some guys, that's what they need. They need to be reminded of that. It's a long season. And other guys, what to avoid. You know, if I say, if I describe it like this, the guy might check out. He gets flustered. You know, knowing, knowing your players, it goes such a long way in any sport. And more so in baseball than any other. And the one other thing. We're running a little behind here. Ricky Ricardo's going to join us. The use of analytics and combining that with feel for the game, the gut feel. As you know, Gabe Kapler, <laughs> boy, he loved those analytics. But he used them way too much to make every decision. And you can make that argument, oh, numbers don't lie. Yes, they do. Because there's a massive variable in the human being mixed in there that you can't quantify. And that everybody's different. Guys tick different ways. Guys fl get flustered different ways. You can't look at a guy and put a number to him specifically, dep depending on the mood he's in, the streak he might be on. It all varies. Gabe never considered that. And that's where Joe Girardi's combination of using those numbers combined with the gut feel, I think are going to go a long way. All right, 888-729-9494, pound nine four nine four, and your AT&T and Verizon Wireless Huff. And on the other side, Ricky Ricardo from Clearwater, Florida? Yeah, he's living it up. Don't go anywhere. Time's 8 o'clock. And while we are here in the uh, Delaware Valley, Philadelphia area, watching our Phillies from hundreds of miles away, uh, jealous, uh, our own Ricky Ricardo, who uh, is covering the Phillies down in spring training, and not only just the Phillies, but of course the Yankees, as he is their play-by-play -play man in Espanol, uh, is uh, vasking, I imagine he's poolside right now. Let's jump on the line here with Ricky. Ricky, what's up? Ricky, where, where are you right now? Would you, would you like me to go out to the pool? I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> Real nice. Yeah. And, I'm, and I came on tonight all happy, saying, you know what? It's 50 degrees out. It's beautiful for February. What was today's high in Clearwater? Well, no, it wasn't that, it wasn't that far off. Today it got up to about 74. Uh, so not that far off. <laughs> yeah, no, comfortable. You know, that, 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 let's be honest here. We've had days in the last uh, couple of weeks since training camp started. Uh, we've had days where it's been 86, 87. Yeah, it's hot. And there's been a couple of days last week uh, during the during uh, just a couple of days ago. As a matter of fact, on Friday, where the high was barely in the upper 40s. Ooh. So it has swung from one uh, from one. Know, one extent to the other, but in general, it's just been fantastic. It was a beautiful, perfect day for baseball today. 74 degrees, white puffy clouds, plenty of sunshine, <laughs> and not much wind at all. It's absolutely perfect. I love that. I, I love uh, Spectrum Field, by the way. So, Rick, I got to yeah. ba backtrack just a little. As you know, you covered to an extent Gabe Kapler, the player, and then you lived through the Cape Gabe Kapler experience as manager and covered him at spring training Correct. on more than one season, for more than one season. Now you have 
Joe Girardi, who you also have prior experience with. Can you fill in, um, Phillies fans, kind of the contrast between the two in terms of, you know, what they've been through and now with the transition, what to expect from Joe? You know, we went from, let, let's take it back. From the years that I've been covering this team here in Clearwater, obviously it was under Charlie May. Mm-hmm. So with, with Charlie, you had a veteran team that had obviously one of the greatest runs, if not the greatest in the history of the franchise, had won a World Series, had been in the playoffs consistently. You had Ruben Amaro Jr. after Pat Gillick bringing in big-time free agents, making huge trades. The Roy Hallidays of the world were here. The Cliff Lees of the world were here. So, John, I can tell you that training camp for all those years basically ran itself. Guys would show up. You had the ultimate in professionals. Right. Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Chase Utley. When you have leadership like that year after year after year, it seems like everything just falls into place. Guys just show up and things tend to happen on their own. It, it, it is, it's an unspoken type of thing where guys bust their butt, they do what they have to do. You had a, a coaching staff that was in sync with everything that was going on. Then you had the you – know, you went into the Ryan Sandberg era where you started to look around and say, wait a minute, things are starting to change. You know, guys uh, were starting to leave. You know, Sandberg ran things a little bit differently, but still – Still, you had that aura of baseball professionalism that still lingered. It lingered through the Pete McCannon era. McCannon's old school Mm -hmm. and ran the camp old school. So guys would show up. They'd do what they have to do. Now, these last two years with Gabe Kapler, I can honestly tell you, and I'm not trying to go out of my way to, to, to dump on Gabe. I'm not. It's just it's a completely different mindset, a completely different way of going about things. I've used this example on more than one occasion, and I'm sticking to it. For the last two springs, the most popular place in the Phillies clubhouse has been a ping-pong table. Yeah. Now, that ping-pong table was put in there by Gabe Kapler. Okay, <laughs> That wasn't there before, Gabe. It's still there today. But I tell you one thing, John. Mm. I have yet to see anyone playing ping-pong. The table's right there where it was Right. for the two years of Kapler, where it was one ping-pong match after the other. What I'm trying to say by this is that guys are back to baseball. The atmosphere in this camp with Rob Thompson, who has always run Girardi's camps. I'm very familiar with the way that, that Rob Thompson runs the Joe Girardi training camp because I saw it and lived it for four years with the Yankees. Rob Thompson uh, is Joe Girardi's first lieutenant, always has been. Girardi inherits him again, obviously, because Rob was here for the two Kapler years. But it was almost like he was here in, in spirit and uniform, but you didn't get the best of Rob Thompson. Now you've got his first lieutenant running this camp, and things are going swimmingly. The drills, you can see the crispness in the drills. You see guys moving from one field to the other, from batting practice to fielding practice to base running drills to pitchers, you know, with the play, uh, you know, the, the, the drill that they do every day here in spring training where there's a ball hit between the first base bag and the mound. Who covers the bag? That flip. Everything goes off without a hitch. Hmm. And I can honestly tell you, John, 
the atmosphere is a complete 180. It's back to baseball 101. It's professionalism. It's fundamentals. It's guys having fun, but it's guys coming off the field, working up a lather, a good sweat, and then the teaching. With Girardi has meetings every day where he's teaching fundamentals, getting back to basics of baseball. You can sense it as soon as you walk into that uh, into that complex spectrum field that things have gone back to what they used to be under uh, Charlie Manuel and then after that with Pete McCannon. Much more of a baseball 101 professional atmosphere. That's good to hear. Well, let me pick your brain about you know uh, one or two players now. Uh, if you yeah. recall, towards the end of last season when things were falling apart and we're like, well, I don't know what they're going to do roster-wise, and we think about guys that are potentially tradable, the only guy that may have value is Reese Hoskins. And you know, I would bite my tongue and say, I know Reese is way better than what we've seen, that he's in his own head and he was he was being coached wrong. I, mm-hmm. now, now that we have Joe Girardi and his staff and a brand-new hitting coach, I, are you of the same belief that, that I was under that you know, Reese Hoskins is he's not what we saw last year, that he's a much better player. He was just kind of trapped inside his own head and, you know, was getting conflicting styles of teaching. John, they were trying to reinvent the wheel inside uh, the head of Reese, Hos- uh, Reese Hoskins. I- I'm convinced of it. Uh, you can tell where he's putting his hands in his stance this year. He's back to the Reese Hoskins stance that – was there when he broke the records coming up from AAA and hitting all the home runs and becoming, you know, the 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 the, the big time big time player that Hoskins was when he first arrived. Last year, it's almost as if they wanted to take him to another level. And what they did was they really, like you said, they got into his head and just he completely fell apart. But this year, you can tell that the the new approach here, the hitting coach, your pitching coach, manager, and coaching staff. They are letting guys get back to what they are good at, what they're comfortable with. Hoskins' stance is back to what it was before. You can tell he's much more at ease. Hoskins, for the last two years, uh, I hate to, I don't want to come off as, as saying that he got, uh, you know, maybe a little bit uh, ahead of himself. Mm-hmm. But Reese Hoskins, when he was still battling along with Dylan Cousins in the minors uh, for a spot on the roster, and they'd come up at the minor league invite team to camp was the most grounded, down-to-earth guy you'd ever want to see. Right. During these Capra years, Reese Hoskins, and John, you know this because you're in the clubhouse, Reese Hoskins' personality changed. And then when he started failing, baseball is a game where, you know, your failures are, are much more clear, where they're, they're much brighter than your successes. Right. You know, you can fail seven out of ten times in baseball, and you might end up in the Hall of Fame. But Hoskins' failures were gleaming especially last year when they tried to toy with his stance and the way that he approached, uh, you know, hitting mm-hmm. in general. Right. Hoskins this year is back to being a humble, nice guy. It's almost as if he, he's done a complete 180 back to the original Reese Hoskins of a couple <laughs> of years ago. Right. Uh, well, let me – we're going to switch from Hoskins to a, a different position or positions in the infield. Mm-hmm. Um Scott Kingery has been thrown in, in almost every – he's played every position outside of his natural position, which is what he came up as at a second baseman. They played him at second base. I, I guess uh, they played him at second base to start a great for league play, and it certainly appears mm-hmm. – it, it appears like that might continue, um, which is kind of really the question I have. I, is Do you think Joe Girardi 
Um, and we don't know for certain, but in your opinion, do you think Joe Girardi will continue to keep Kingery at second base as long as he can and put Segura at third? I do. And I'll tell you what was good today was Segura, watching Segura play third base. Uh, and Gene was happy about it. He was comfortable playing third base today. His comments afterwards were, hey, the more I play here, the more comfortable I'm going to get. You know, Segura, and I've watched him over the years come up as one of those thin, kind of really flexible shortstops when he came through the, uh, the Angels organization and then to the Milwaukee Brewers, and then he's bounced around a few teams. He was the typical build of a shortstop. Through the years, he's gotten stocky. Okay, mm-hmm. he's a heavy side. He, you know, he's put on, uh, you know, some muscle, some weight, more power. But he's grown out of a shortstop's body the last couple of years. So obviously, in this situation, where I think Girardi realizes that Kingery is comfortable, and I've been, as you know, John, I've been pounding the table and screaming for years. Please just give Scott Kingery his natural position at second base and let him become the next, hopefully, the next coming of Chase Utley. And that's high praise. But I really think he can, he can grow into that at second base. But what really you know, makes it clear to me uh, that this might work, and Girardi's a smart guy, was watching Segura you know, uh, at third base doing the drills portion the last 10 days in a game today. And I look forward to watching Segura get more and co- more comfortable playing the hot corner at third base during the spring. And I think that will just make it a very natural transition for Girardi to leave Kingery at second. Right. Two more questions for you, Rick. Um, mm-hmm. One of the constant uh, debates or, you know, what fans are trying to figure out and media alike um, is the difference in the win column that a manager can make. And, and there are some, even those who cover the team, who have said, well, you know, it's great he's going to instill a culture, but in the end he's not the one on the field. So even though he's here, I can't see him personally making a difference in the win column. In the end, I don't think the talent is there is correct on the roster, you know, in on the roster, so on and so forth. And there are others who say, no, a great manager, you know, and, and contrast from Kapler to Girardi can make upwards of, you know, ten more wins. Where do you fall in this debate? It's interesting because I watched Girardi with very, very talented Yankee teams, you know, sometimes play to their expectations and other times you know, maybe underperform and underwhelm a little bit through the years. In this particular situation with this team, I think Joe Girardi, where he, where you're going to see the Girardi effect the most is guys who have had a rough go of it the last couple of years where Girardi has come into this camp and said, I don't care what has happened here. I'm giving you a fresh, clean slate. For example, a Nick Pavetta who obviously had a roller coaster year last year mentally, going down to the minor leagues. We know everything that happened with Pavetta. Mm-hmm. Girardi has told Nick Pavetta, I don't care what went on here last year. It's from now moving forward. You see Pavetta in another mindset. If he can pull off just a couple of those guys, if he can get Velasquez maybe to, to, to just focus on, on one particular thing, whether it's just throw as hard as you can for one inning and use that devastating, you know, breaking pitch and, and the speed you've got on your fastball and maybe develop him into another kind of pitcher. If Pavetta, who he was impressed with yesterday in his outing against the Detroit Tigers, develops this changeup that he's working on, then some of the guys that underperformed 
you know, the last couple of years, John, could take that, finally start to take that step forward. That's where I think Girardi, look, you know what you're going to get with, with Bryce. You, you, you need guys like Reese, like Pavetta, guys that went backwards right. last year. You need them to start pointing in the right direction this year. That's where I think you're going to have the Girardi effect. And we'll just see how far it goes. You know, this train went backwards, John, yeah. for the last two years. Yeah. It did. It went backwards. I think Girardi's job this season is to get it back to, you know, back to the center. This thing was moving forward slowly. Unfortunately, for the last two years, it went in the wrong direction. Before Girardi can get this thing into the black, it, he's got to get it out of the red, if, if, you, if you understand my analogy. Sure. He's got to get it to point zero and then take it forward. And I think Joe is working right now on the mentality of this team, telling them, look, nobody is expecting anything from us. No way. Everybody's picking us fourth. Everybody's picking us to win 77 games. You know, all the, the, uh, the Pakoda ratings and everything else, 78, 77 wins. You know, maybe if we get lucky, we win as many as we did last year. You know, Girardi's starting to instill that mentality into players that, hey, you know, play loose and free, pressure-free. Nobody expects anything out of us. And I think that way he's going to get a lot more out of guys that were, you know, maybe Kapler didn't get right. the best of some of these players. I think Girardi's going to get a better effort out of some of these guys. And then, then you will see whether they've got enough talent or whether they just don't. You, you can't make – you know, lemonade out of out of sour, you know, lemons. Uh, but you can make lemonade out of out of guys that have, <laughs> they maybe weren't in the right head the last couple of years. That's where I think Girardi might be good if, to put a number on it, John. I'll tell you what. Well, no, no, this is going to this, this leads this leads right into a, uh, into. A, I understand where you're going, but it leads right into the question I have for you, though. With Go ahead. I, 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 what I'm trying to figure out, and I've gotten much like what you were just explaining of. A varying opinion on this as well. As you're looking at this division right now, and so much can happen between now and the start of October in terms of injuries, players exceeding expectations, falling short, so on and so forth, players developing properly, where do you see this team logically without playing Homer, which, you know, just looking at it as a guy who's been around baseball Mm -hmm. your entire adult life, where right Mm -hmm. now do you see this team finishing in the division? I think, honestly, I have a, my gut tells me that the Nationals might have a hangover. I've seen it with, with teams that have won championships in the past. The Nationals spent so many years coming close and being the disappointment that I think that finally getting to that mountaintop and finally winning that World Series, they're going to have an exhale that might be the hangover effect that we see sometimes with Super Bowl champions in football. To me, the Nationals, with Rendon out of there, and like I said, having you know the air come out of that balloon finally with, with winning that championship, mm. I think the Nationals are going to take a step back. The Braves obviously have so much young talent, although they lost Donaldson. Uh, you know, they've re-signed the manager and the coaching staff. There's a lot of stability in the Atlanta organization, and they've got a player, which is something the Phillies, you know, have in, in Harper, uh, but they don't have through their own organization. The, the, the Phillies don't have a homegrown Ronald Acuna who could be this year's 
MVP in the National League. Right. Uh, they had to go out and buy a guy like Harper. Right. But I if, I think if there's one team that the that the Phils might take advantage of if they take that hangover step backward to the Nationals, I can't in good conscience tell you that I put them ahead of Atlanta or the Mets. And, and the Mets is the team that worries me the most hmm. because, John, they have got incredible depth at starting pitching. Okay, when a, when a guy like Michael Walker, who's been a winner with the St. Louis Cardinals, is your sixth starter, and you've got guys like Lugo and Gazelman who have been good in both roles, yeah. steady in the bullpen, and you've got Adelan Betances, that, and, you know, and you've got a Diaz who can't be as bad this year as he was last year. The Mets have incredible pitching depth. And a guy like Ioannis Cespedes, who just loves hitting in Citizens Bank Park, you get a guy like that on a walk year. This is his contract year. Remember, he lost about $20 million because he was being chased by a wild boar right. at his ranch right. <laughs> here in Florida. So you've got a guy that is you know, playing for his next contract as a power-hitting outfielder. The team that scares me the most in the National League East are the Mets. The Braves, defending champions. The Mets, I think, it's their time to maybe take a step forward. And the team that mm. might slip a little bit because of a, maybe a bit of a hangover of the Nationals. If I had to put the fills right now, to be honest with you, I, I have to agree with some of the writers. I would put them fourth, wow. no higher than third. Wow. His name is Ricky Ricardo. Of course, we all hope to be proven wrong. It would make for a great October moving forward. His name is Ricky mm -hmm. Ricardo. We all know him here right here on WIP. Uh, Saturday night, Rick, you're flying back up for a show? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got to do a, a quick trip up, so I'll be there next Saturday. We'll, we'll bring, bring plenty of audio. We'll try to talk to as many players and coaches as we can and share that with everybody. Uh, next Saturday night, we will do a mid training camp report we'll, we'll get it right right about halfway through so a mid-training camp report next saturday night between six and ten o'clock before i fly back here oh, rick thanks man i appreciate it look forward to it john all right our own ricky ricardo by the way you can hear all his phillies reports on our sister station kyw news radio steven tampa is going to be up next and then you jump on these lines you want to talk a little phillies baseball break things up by all means i'd love to talk phillies baseball with you our time's eight twenty-four. Sports Radio 94, WIP, 2020 Sports. I'm Ed Benkin. The 76ers are dealing with two key injuries on the Sunday. Ben Simmons left last night's game in Milwaukee as his back injury flared up. He will miss at least one game tomorrow night with the Sixers host the Hawks. Tobias Harris is also doubtful. He is dealing with a knee injury. The Phillies down the Pirates board three in Grapefruit League action today. Jay Bruce had a pair of RBIs as part of a four-run first. Three and two. Count is full on Jay Bruce. And it's swung on and hit deep down the right field line towards the corner. That ball will be in for a hit. It bounds against the sidewall. It stays in play. Both runs score. Jay Bruce jogging into second with a two-run double. And the Phillies have an early 3-0 lead. That is Scott Franski with the call on 94 WIP. Aaron Nola scattered three hits and did not allow a run in two innings of work. The Phillies will play the Orioles tomorrow. To stream 94 WIP, get our podcast and all the latest stories in Philadelphia sports, go to the all-new 94WIP.com. 2020 Sports on Sports Radio 94 WIP. All right, thanks to Ricky for joining us for a few moments. Top of the 9 o'clock hour, the team that nobody's talking about that could very well make a deeper playoff run than the 76ers in the Flyers. 
the man who covers the Flyers for us here at WIP and KYW News Radio. Ed Bankin's going to join us for a few minutes, pick his brain about what they're doing right. And the difference that Elaine Vigneault is making, we'll enter that when we hit the 9 o'clock hour because many people have just kind of checked out on the Flyers and they're saying, wait a minute, this team's five points out of first in the division? What's going on here? We'll get all these answers from Ed at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. 888-729-9494, pound 9494, and your AT&T Verizon Wireless cell phone. Steve in Tampa. What's up, Steve? Well, good evening, John. How are you? Oh, you know, same old stuff, different day, sort of. You know, I'm watching the Sixers lose on national TV in a huge game. I'm shooting the breeze with Ricky, they, who's probably about 10 miles from where you're at right now. Did you, did you meet up with Ricky at all? Uh, seven and a half miles. I'm gonna, uh, I got the tickets when the Phillies come here to play the Yankees. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to meet him up there. Okay, nice. Very cool. So, well, so the Yankees park. Yankees Park's about five minutes from my house. And the Yankees play, it's not Dunedin. Where is it they're, they're at? What's Tomorrow? The, yeah, what's, no, where is the, um, where's the Yankees uh, spring training facility? What is the area called? Tampa. Are, right oh, they are in the Tampa. Football. That's who, okay. I'm, well, who's it's in? across from the football field. Oh, okay. That, that's right. The Yankees are in Tampa. I'm thinking of the Blue Jays are in Dunedin. Who's in Lakeland? I got to remember who's in Lakeland. It'll come to me. That's right. The Yankees are in Tampa. Man, I always forget that. Right. I don't know. I, I forgot, Steve. I got a lot I, on my mind. I understand. I understand. Let me ask you, before we talk about the Phillies, mm-hmm. we all know the disinformation that comes from the Sixers medical staff. How injured is Ben Simmons? It's a very good question, Steve. Uh, I would, although we don't know for certain, um, what I can say, and I say this as an educated guess, the fact that we do have not received any information other than he's going to be further evaluated certainly does not sound good. Because, if it, you know, as you recall, he sat uh, this past Thursday night with lower back stiffness, which... After they were off for 10 days. After they were off for 10 days, and Brett Brown says it happened at practice uh, the day before, which you know, okay, if we take him at his word, let's let's just go with let's take him at with at his word for now. So if that's the case, and he sat a game, sat a couple days, and he came back, played all of five minutes, and then left the game and didn't come back. Um, I know. If it was something as simple as he reaggravated it, we're going to give him a few days off and reevaluated him. Uh, I think we would have heard that exact information by now, saying, "Hey, we're going to give him a couple days off and reevaluate him." The fact that we haven't heard anything and that he's going to receive. Mm-hmm. Further evaluation tomorrow uh, certainly screams of something that will take weeks as opposed to days. Let me ask you a question, which I would, I've been asking myself for a while. As a member of the media, can you talk directly to the doctors? No. No, we cannot. We, we do not have access to any of the team doctors. We've asked uh, numerous times over the years, and uh, the answer has always been uh, no. So yeah, no, we don't have access to the doctors. If maybe is, we is that the is, is that the team rule or is it a uh, law? Well, it's no, no, no. It's not a law. It's usually the team can kind of dictate. You know, they can pass information along. They can, you know, but it's up to the team to determine uh, whether the media can have access to the team doctors or whether the team doctors are willing to speak to the media. Which, whichever the case is, uh, throughout my eight years covering the team, I've never had access to any team doctor. And you've asked, I assume. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, oh, we can give you a statement, but 
you know, we can we'll get you the general manager. We'll get Elton Brand in this case, and Elton, you know, Elton's not going to talk about it until they have um, until they tell us exactly what's going on, or they're willing to tell I know, us. I, I, the reason I ask you is, is, is they say, he's, well, he's not playing Monday, mm-hmm. but if it goes on for two, three, four games, doesn't the team, by league rules, have to tell you, hey, this is the problem? Well, they have to tell you uh, – no, they don't have to tell you that. They just have to – the way the league rules work, they just have to tell you you know, in advance that he's not going to play, and they do that for competitive purposes, not for media purposes, but you have to – For gambling purposes. For, right, of course. It's, and it really is. It really comes down to gambling purposes. And, it, you know, teams and Vegas complains if you wait till the last minute to tell you a, play, a player's not going to play when you knew well in advance they weren't going to play. Having said that, though, Steve, I think we will find out more – I would say around five o'clock tomorrow night. Really? Yeah, before because Brett, you know, they play tomorrow night, seven o'clock. Right. Uh, and right. the way it generally works for a seven o'clock game, we talk to Brett Brown right around five fifteen, right before he comes out. Uh, we'll get some information from their public relations staff. Uh, we'll get like an injury update, and they'll you know give us a little more information on what's going on with Ben. Um, about the Phillies, uh, real quick, because I don't want to run out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed in the box score, the pitchers are pitching either one or two innings in spring training, no more. Is is that the way that Girardi's going to run when we get to the regular season about uh, not having a pitcher pitch relief two days or three days in a row? Is that why he's doing this? Um, no, well, remember, too, it's also the beginning of, of spring training baseball, so they kind of ease everybody in because you're still going to play, I forget the exact number of games, but it's close to 30. So it's kind 32. of a, a 32. Okay. So, they, I mean, they ease everybody in. No, I don't think that's going to be the case. One thing that I completely forgot about, Steve, that uh, dawned on me when I was watching the game this afternoon, starting this year, relief pitchers have to face a minimum of three batters now. So you can't go – you know, batter. You know, pitcher for but batter. But how does the relief pitcher comes in with two outs? Uh, I, I. That's a good question. I'm pretty sure they have to stay in the game. I'm. I'll have to double check because I. This is all brand new. One, but I'm fairly certain. Final, Go ahead. One final point. As a baseball, well, the alleged baseball commissioner, has he said anything about pitchers who hit <laughs> the Houston Astros players? What the penalty might be? He has not yet. No. No, and you know they're getting Great. plunked. You know Doing they're getting plunked. I'm telling you. Oh, Steve, you, could be, you could be the baseball commissioner. Steve, Steve it's, it is crazy. I, I honestly had no opinion of Steve Manfred, uh, Rob Manfred, excuse me, prior to uh, this whole fiasco and him speaking about what? it. But, I mean, in, in a, a span of about 45 seconds, I have cast complete judgment on how he operates, and he has already, in my mind, become the worst commissioner of the four major sports, I'm putting down. I'm putting down my big piece of metal here, so we're okay. <laughs> Steve, thanks, man. I'll talk to you. Man, oh man, Rob Manfred, talk about open mouth and surf foot. How can I? Yeah, those guys are going to get targeted. And when you have other, this is what makes it so much worse. When you have other players, current players around baseball, forget uh, a big poppy looking like a fool saying something. Current players in baseball, Mike Trout, you know the low Millville native, uh, arguably the best player in all of baseball. Who, no offense, in terms of his personality, in terms of marketing ability, he's milk toast. I mean, he gives you nothing. 
which is why he's just uh, it's hard to market him because he doesn't he's personality wise he's not you know, like this over the top personality that uh, they would like to market he's a very simple simplistic guy who lets his actions do the talking uh the fact that mike trout spoke out about this that's horrible that's when he of all people has said he's he's upset at the handling of this and the players that haven't been punished it's such a horrible look for major league baseball and as much as it's a bad look Suddenly, I want to see every game. I want to see every Astros game. I want to see if they get plunked. I want to see if people try to sneak in some type of trash can. I want to see if people bring in signs, which, by the way, were just confiscated. Astros played uh, yesterday. Fans brought in signs, cheating signs, like like homemade billboards, like uh, on poster board. They were confiscated by security. It's going to be a wild season for the Astros. They deserve every bit of boo they're going to get. Ben, hang on there, man. You're going to be up next and then you. 888-729-9494, pound 9494 on your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. Anthony Foley, engineering, Ed Benkin with your 2020 sports. Our time's 840. Sports Radio 94, WIP, 2020 sports. I'm Ed Benkin. The 76ers are indeed banged up heading into tomorrow night's game against Atlanta. Ben Simmons had an MRI and he is out at least one game. Meanwhile, Tobias Harris is doubtful as he deals with a knee injury. The Sixers and Hawks tip off at 7 o'clock tomorrow. The Phillies picked up a 4-3 Grapefruit League win over Pittsburgh. Gene Segura did his part in a four-run first. 2-1. And it swung on, roped up the middle of base. Uh, into center field. One run will score. Real Muto around third. They put up the stop sign there. And JT will hold on at third base. Over at first, it's Gene Segura. He's got an RBI single, and the Phillies have a 1-0 lead. That is Scott Franzke on 94 WIP. Aaron Nola scattered three hits and did not allow a run in two innings, while Jay Bruce had a pair of RBIs. Phillies will play the Orioles tomorrow. To stream 94 WIP, get our podcast and all the latest stories in Philadelphia sports, go to the all-new 94WIP.com. 2020 Sports on Sports Radio 94 WIP. All right, 848, welcome back. John Johnson with you. By the way, uh, if you are inclined, if you are interested, uh, tomorrow night, obviously, Sixers are taking on the Atlanta Hawks. I'll have all the details uh, on our sister station, KYW News Radio. Also, um, right here on WIP, as I call into the pregame show, the process pregame show, which uh, I believe tomorrow night, I believe Joe Giglio is back, is doing the evening slot, as usually does. I'll call in there about 15 minutes before the game, give all the details and the latest information I've gotten from the arena. Injury-wise, of course, we should get an update tomorrow, like a real update on what's going on with Ben Simmons, how much time he could be missing. We know Tobias Harris is doubtful tomorrow, night, as Ed has been mentioning in his updates. My guess, uh, you know, it doesn't take much of an educated guess, when somebody's listed as doubtful, odds are they're not going to play, which means we're going to see Al Horford back in the starting lineup. 888-729-9494, pound 9494 in your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. And, of course, if you want the latest info before I can even get it onto the air, I'll tweet it out, at John Johnson WIP, J-O-N Johnson WIP. You're more than welcome to follow. Hit me up with some questions. I try to respond to as many as I can from time to time. Sometimes you get caught up in, in doing things and you can't, but uh, I'll try to always give the latest information as soon as I get it uh, by tweeting it out. Ben in the Northeast is on WIP. Ben, appreciate you holding. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. So what's going on? Um, when Alec Boehm, when he comes up from AAA, and if he's, if he's playing really, really good, and Gene Segura, might, if he doesn't have a spot, do you think the Phillies might trade him? I mean, they could probably get, like, a nice fifth pitcher for him. Yeah, they probably could. I, this is, Gene Segura, it's so tough because this past season, 
it put him in such a bad light, right? I mean, the you know the non-hustle plays, the one that ended up resulting in uh, Andrew McCutcheon tearing out his knee, tearing up his knee, and then he had another uh, issue later on in the year. If you get a team who simply just looks at his numbers, he batted 280 last year. I think he had 60 or 61 RBI. You know, I think you could get something for him, and he's only making like 14 million or so. So it's not like it's some albatross of a contract. Here's where it gets tough, though, Ben. Because when the time comes, when Alec Bohm's, and they say, all right, it's time, bring him up, you don't want to make a gu- uh, that split reaction, that gut, uh, I shouldn't say gut, that um, reactionary decision, like, all right, Alec Bohm's here, how quickly can we get rid of Gene Segura? Because the one thing we've learned over the years, and I don't mean this to discredit Alec Bohm, because we don't know yet, prospect doesn't always equal Major League star, let alone starter in Major League Baseball. You have to give it time, see how he plays, you know, make sure he is what he is before you make the decision to trade another player. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Have a good night. Thank no, you. All right, Ben. I appreciate the call. Yeah, that's what makes it tough. We And when we had Kevin Cooney on earlier in the show, uh, top of the 7 o'clock hour, you know, I was mentioning that to him, how we, you know, over the years when uh, when you're just looking from the outside in and you're saying, oh, well, look at this, look at that. You know, look, J.P. Crawford's ready to come up. You know, trade Freddie Galvis as soon as you can. Trade this guy. J.P. Crawford's our shortstop of the future. We can't wait. And that was preached to no end by even some people at the station. And I remember saying, will you hold up a minute? Like, you can't crown somebody the next great coming when they're not even here yet. And that's one of the things that I have continued to just harp on this front office who has done a horrible job at restocking this farm system. It's been five years. Five years of horrible baseball. You go back to the Pete McC- when when Sandberg left and McCannon was interim and then he became the manager. And this was rock bottom. This is we have a handful of players, but this is where we restock the farm system. We play and you know, we finish with a horrible record and we and we draft high, we draft smart, and we rebuild that farm system and get our future players. The next Chase Sutley, the next Jimmy Rollins, hopefully the next Ryan Howard, the next Cole Hamels, so on and so forth. This is what you're supposed to do. Phillies have nothing to show for it right now. Five years. You're clinging to Alec Bohm and Spencer Howard. That's all you have. You know, Mickey Moniak played today. So what? Mickey Moniak is not close to Major League ready. It's been years. Cornelius Randolph. Who? Exactly. You know, Adam Hazley, we hope, is going to be a major league starter and hope that he becomes maybe an all-star at some point. We've no, seen no signs of becoming an all-star, but we hope he can at least be, you know, a regular starter in major league baseball. We don't know yet. Aaron Nola has been great. The one guy we can turn to. You know, we hope Reese Hoskins can turn it around. I refuse to believe what we saw when he came up as a fluke. And that's one one thing I can just destroy Matt Klintak on. And there's nothing he can say. Because they did a horrible job drafting. You know, the when you're a bad baseball team, this is where you restock the farm. And and, and get everything better again. And, and say, all right, our future's here. And if it's not, we have a couple guys we can trade in order to expedite this process to be a World Series team. They don't have it. So when the time comes that Alec Bohm is ready, do not anoint him the next great third baseman. Be happy that he's here and happy at the future, but you can't make a, a quick decision to trade away 
a major leaguer because he's now ready to jump into the major leagues. Because prospect doesn't equal all-star, and it doesn't equal starter. It means he this player could be. Let's see how it plays out. Lee in Downingtown's on WIP. Evening, Lee. Hey, John. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good. Uh, I have a weird segue, but it's funny you say that. Back in the 80s, uh, the group, the Knack, mm-hmm. was really huge. They said they were going to be the next Beatles. Okay. Well, that's what you can say about players when they're this young and this inexperienced. That nobody can say something stupid like that and right. say and how good they're going to be until you see them after quite a few games. Right, and that's and I and it's all right to and this is where it gets tough, Lee, because you know fans a lot of times fans get so caught up in it they want to be excited and they want to be certain of something that they so much so that they they, they believe it and you can't tell them otherwise. Having said that, you know this is where. You, you become a smarter, in this case, baseball fan by acknowledging what they also cannot be and, and being more of a realist in the situation. Well, I, I'd love to talk to you about the Phillies right now, but sure. there's just too much speculation. Hoskins, <laughs> he's really got to show us. He really does. Nola didn't have the greatest year last year. Uh, I was a little worried about him last year. Let's see that if he can come back to his greatness because I, I, we need him if we don't get him. It's going to be bad. Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, uh, a subject you brought up, really good subject, I thought, um, about our uh, baseball commissioner. Mm-hmm. You think Manfred will actually say something before the season starts about them plunking them? That's... Or do you think he'll wait until somebody actually does it and then do something? I, I think he'll wait till somebody actually does it because he's – Yeah, I, mean, I do every, too. Everything he doesn't, he's... Have, he doesn't have the foresight <laughs> – What's that? And I mean, he I I mean, I'm sure although he you know, he's clearly uh, out of touch with what reality really is and what you can and cannot say. um, He is under such scrutiny. Uh, Every I'm sure his entire camp, all those who work for him have told him or advised him, hey, you know, that's you know, if something happens, we'll address it. Otherwise, you shouldn't, you know, maybe not talk about it in the public eye because it would only make him look worse. I think that's exactly what's going to happen because it's going to be like it's going to be a major issue. I know because they're going to plunk them left and right. Oh yeah, they have and baseball players. They don't forget and they're going to do it. And uh, they think they deserve to do it. Right. Well, here's what makes it. And I feel horrible saying this because I feel like a horrible uh, baseball, in a sense, a baseball fan. I want to see the Astros play other teams now. You know, this is such – it's so bad for baseball, yet I want to see this more than ever now. I want to see how teams react to playing these guys that were on the 2017 team and whether they plunk them and the reaction they get to doing so. That was my second part of it was that do you, do you, I think it's bad for baseball. But on the other hand, you kind of brought up a point. It could be good for baseball because people are going to watch to see it. Yeah, it's like a car crash. Right, and everything's always better sports-wise when you have um, a, a shared enemy. When you when you have the right. bad guys, when you have the villain, when you have that attractive story of someone you want to see fail, someone who broke the rules and didn't care and didn't get um, you know didn't get punished properly. You want to see everything go bad right. for them moving forward, and that's exactly what this is. Oh, I certainly do. I'm going to see them fail miserably. <laughs> Lee, I appreciate the call, man. 888-729-9494, pound nine four nine four on your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. On the other side, we need to talk about the team nobody is, is even mentioning. I realize it's it's not an easy sport to talk about, 
but it's something to absolutely take notice of, whether you're a fan of the team or not. Um, Of our winter teams, the one who may make a deeper run in the playoffs is the one you may not expect, the Flyers. We're going to talk to the man who covers the Flyers on the other side, Ed Benkin. Our time's 8.58. Three hours down, one to go. John Johnson with you. I believe at 10 o'clock, it's Paul Jolovitz. Is that right, Anthony Foley? Jolly time at 10 o'clock. Well, uh, so far tonight, we spent a lot of time talking about the disappointment in the 76ers and what to do, what could happen moving forward, ladies with Ben Simmons. We've talked about the Philadelphia Phillies and the impact Joe Girardi's going to have, the players, if they could, they, uh, you know, how much could they improve. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the NFL and the 17th regular season game possibility, seven teams in each conference in the playoffs. That was always uh, fun. The one thing we have not addressed tonight, and shame on me for waiting for the fourth hour to get to it, is the one team of the four who may make the deepest run in the playoffs we uh, will see in 2020, 2019, 2021 in the Philadelphia Flyers. And it's as... Uh, fate would have it doing updates tonight who covers the Philadelphia Flyers for our sister station KYW and of course WIP our own Ed Bankin Ed I, I you know hockey is is at times not a very easy sport to translate radio wise to talk about um but you know for most fans who I'm sure you've seen over the last two years for the first time in a long time the Flyers weren't selling out anymore You saw empty seats, three, four, sometimes 5,000 empty seats in the arena, something you never thought you'd see. But all of a sudden, Dave Hextall Hextall out. The insertion of Elaine Vigneault, I realize they've made roster changes, Ed. Elaine Vigneault's that good? He's very good. Uh, Elaine Vigneault's won wherever he's gone. You get that in different sports. You can take a look at an NFL coach like a a Marty Schottenheimer or, or Chuck Knox. Now, he's gone a little further. He's been to the finals a couple times. He, he's just a good hockey coach who wins. He was one win away from a Stanley Cup in Vancouver. They lost to Game 7 in Boston. Right. Got the Rangers to the finals where they lost to the Kings in five games, Game 5 in overtime. It, the guy is, is a proven winning NHL coach, and he has been close a couple times, so I'm sure he's happy to have this opportunity right now with a, with a franchise. It, it's, an, it's an interesting thing you brought up, John, because like you said, there have been empty seats. I think we's generations going on. Everybody knows, even if you're not a hockey fan, everybody knows it's the Ford sport. Right. There's been something special about the Flyers. Every decade, going back to the Cup days, the 80s with the near misses with Edmonton, how gutsy they were, the 90s with Lindros, the 2000s, the end of 2000, 2010 with the run to the finals and coming back from Boston. There's something that makes even the non-hockey fans say, oh, well, that, that's something special. This decade, it's either been no playoffs or, and not only out of the first round, but you just knew they were going out in the first round right. nearly every time. So I think that's why you started to see, dare I say, the first time, starting to see a generational gap and the Flyers bring you on the likes of Gritty and trying to win that next generation. <laughs> and, I, that's, I bring them up. and that is what kills Flyers fans, <laughs> major, I mean 95% of them the most. The fact that over the past two seasons, uh, and it, it looks like we're about to finally hit a phase where they'll start to have an identity, 
the face of the franchise was the mascot. There's nothing more insulting. And what a face it was, I might add. I mean, the, the Phillies <laughs> the Phillies went through that during a lot of bad stretches where the reason you came out of the ballpark with the big reasons is the fanatic. Right, and right. You, you, again, this was something new for the Flyers, but think about this. They haven't won a playoff series in eight, in nine years now. That's, when, that's, that's amazing. It is hard to believe. And this is a franchise that was a perennial playoff team, and I know the playoff system is different right now. But you you always had the goaltending issue up until now, which is a big part of it. But you just didn't have the right coach, the right fit. You had a young core that wasn't ready, and the veterans like Giroux who are thriving. Then you're afraid they're going to get old while this young core. But you've got a coach who's making it work. Now, they've gone through a lot of growing pains. We saw some clunkers earlier in the season. And the NHL, just a little word of warning. Don't want to be devil's advocate here. We've seen everybody this year. It's like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Good news is uh, the roller coaster is certainly going up right now. Well, and – Looking at I, Keith Jones once told me this story about how when he uh, during his playing days I can't recall if it was with the Flyers or with the Avalanche whoever it was whoever there were the Capitals whoever it was he was playing for um, the one of the assistant coaches gave each player a piece of paper and a pen and said write what you think our top three needs are on this team and it's an, it's all under anonymity and you know the front office was going to read that and he told me he wrote. On uh, line one, goaltending. Line two, <laughs> goaltending. Exactly. Line three, <laughs> goaltending. Uh, I, is Carter Hart I, – I don't mean – I'm not trying to say this in a negative way. I'm just trying to look at all options here. Is he the real deal? I think so. And, and it's not just on the ice. The first couple of games we talked to this kid in the locker room, you're thinking, he can't be 20 years old. He's mature beyond his years. And by the way, Brian Elliott's been pretty good, too. They've had two good goaltenders this year. Mm -hmm. And if they do get into the playoffs, the fact that Carter Hart was out for three weeks and Brian Elliott more than held down the fourth, that's a big part of the story, too. But he is someone who has had the pressure of Canadian tournaments, a member of Team Canada. He's had some big moments. Obviously, the Stanley Cup playoffs would be the bigger stage. But he is a guy who could take you through a playoff series if you're not at your best. Now, right. The one time the Flyers came close this past decade when they lost to the Rangers in seven, the Rangers were a better team. Steve Mason played the best series of his life. Got him to a game seven, one goal away at Madison Square Garden. But Carter Hart, this is the exciting part is this is just the tip of the iceberg. And I right. he had a couple of clunkers. Look, every goaltender is going to have that, even if he's in his prime. Even Patrick Waugh and Dominic Koshik had that. I, I Just as impressive as his play is his demeanor, and, and he is – I mean, he's got so many years left. It's exciting to think that he's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, and his play in, and this is why where they finish in the standings will be so important. Assuming they, uh, you know, keep this pace and make the Stanley Cup playoffs, they're not even lined for a wild card right now. They're the third in the Metropolitan Division, just you know, two back of Pittsburgh. Uh, f- I think they're five back of Washington. Washington, beat Pittsburgh, Washington today. beat Pittsburgh today. So they're five up now on the Flyers, and 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 they're they're two up on Pittsburgh, but. Uh, again, this is the, the tightness. First of all, the Metro may be the best division in hockey it, top it, to yeah, bottom. I agree with you. I think both wild cards are coming out of the Metro. And as great as the streak has been, the Flyers are three points away from being out of the playoffs. Right. Because the, right, because it's, it, Well, here's the thing that I was going to bring up that I find so fascinating. You know, as someone who covers the Sixers, as it's mind-boggling to me they're so bad on the road because they're 26-2 and two at home. Uh, people don't know this. The Flyers have one of the best home records in all of the NHL. And Carter Hart's his goals against is like 1.5 or something at home. It's insane. It's 21-5-4. They've got a little bit, despite we talked about the crowds. 
that home swagger back. Now, a lot of the crowd that is there certainly still makes a lot of noise, and I think you'll see that pick up if this team continues to play well and you get to March uh, and you see that focus a little more maybe on the kind of run they might make. But uh, they've been dominant at home at times. They've mm-hmm. had, And then they've had games like they did against Florida last week where they didn't really play their best and they won 4-1. to one. Right. And you have a game like yesterday where they had a 3 nothing lead and were in cruise control. Winnipeg makes it 3-2. And maybe earlier this year, the Flyers blow that lead. We saw them blow some big leads earlier sure. this year. They locked down, went on a flurry for about three minutes where they so outplayed a good Winnipeg team that they drew a penalty and then got the goal to put the game away. Um, Kev, the addition of Kevin Hayes, which was, uh, you know, it was a big, like, why, my God. I'm trying to remember correctly. They traded for the rights to sign him. Yes. Which is a huge risk because you don't know. He could just say, yeah, no, nah, I'll pass. Thanks so much. But he decides to play here. The impact, people don't realize this because they all, most fans, the casual fan, thinks of Claude Giroux, they think of Voracek, uh, they think of Konechny. The addition of Kevin Hayes, the impact he has when he's playing versus not playing, their record with him versus not with, without him is insane. I, I'm, when you watch him play, what, what is he doing that's making such the difference for them? He's a tremendous two-way center. Yes, he scores a lot of big goals, but he can also play so well defensively. You mentioned that Keith Jones list. I know goaltending is one, two, and three. (laughs) Four is center. Have your depth at center. Uh, The St. Louis Blues traded for a guy by the name of Ryan O'Reilly. That worked out pretty well. He was the MVP, the Mm consummate MVP. You have to be strong up the middle of the NHL. And, again, a guy like Hayes is so strong on both ends of the ice. So people said, boy, that's a lot of money to pay for Hayes. You get a center like that to add that depth up the middle. And mm-hmm. now, especially with Giroux, pretty much looking like he's going to be on the wing now towards the end of his career. Which has made a huge difference he, for him. And I, I say towards the end of his career, that may not be for a while the way he's playing right now. Uh, it cha- You need, for so many reasons, for face-offs, for defensive purposes, you need to be strong up the middle in the NHL. And Hayes is just as effective in his end as he is being able to score. Score the game and he going against Columbus the other night. Huge two points for the Flyers. Uh, he has made a huge impact. It allows that flexibility to do it. allows Giroux to move to the wings. Right. So you you have more depth right now when you have strength at center. You can maybe float some things around. By the way, that's another thing. Scott Lawton scores two goals yesterday. They, they're yep. getting some depth right now, which which obviously you need as well. Yeah, and you have a player like Konechny who's turning into a star in this league. He, the one thing I like about Konechny, and, you know, whenever you were filling in doing – when you were doing your Eagles duties and I'm filling in for you covering Flyers – I, the one thing I noticed about a player like Travis Konechny, although he's not a big guy at all, he – and this is what fans, I think, love about him or if they don't know about the, this about him. He is the I don't care how much bigger you are than me. I'm going to throw everything I can at you to, to piss you off and hopefully score past you, which is uh, to have a player with that type of guts and I think that type of leadership is something that so many teams lack, especially this team, has lacked in the past. And you get that in, that infusion of this coming from one of the younger core. I mean, you have the veterans like Claude Giroux. I remember when, when Wayne Simmons was here, people said, well, Simmons should be the captain. What is, you know, Giroux is the leader of this team. He does provide a lot of leadership. But now you're getting that from the second group, this core of these younger players like Konechny. And he's got that, I guess the best way to do it is that, that snarl to him. He's not afraid to get dirty goals. He's not afraid to get his nose in there. And that's what I like about this team. They can they can skate so much better than some of the other Flyers teams. They got better in the blue line, obviously, which is a big part of it in the offseason. But they can beat you in different ways. They can play physical. They can get in your face, or they can skate with you. And in the past, 
It's usually been one or the other with this team. Connecty, mm -hmm. uh, look, 21 goals, 33 assists. Uh, you know, at times he might have some lapses defensively, but that's okay. He's certainly providing a lot for this team, and he adds to that balance as we talked about. And the good news right now is you're just seeing this team not make a lot of the same mistakes they made early in the year when they were, look, when they were still learning what is the tough system to get down for Lane Vigneault, very different system than they had last year. And you knew there'd sure. be that adjustment period. And it seems like they're, they're, they're starting to get it down right now, certainly with the way they're playing. Final question I have for you, Ed. Um, some fans, you know, even talk show hosts who casually watch it have no idea what they're talking about. They're saying, oh, I, I see Stanley Cup finals with this team. I, I can just see it happening. And in my head, I'm like, please shut up. You don't even watch the games. You know what you're talking about. As someone like you, Ed Benkin, who has covered the Flyers for many years, who grew up loving hockey, grew up in Buffalo, a huge Sabres fan. When you look at this team, things can change. You know, there's, a, there's still 20 games left. How far realistically do you think you can foresee uh, this team, first year under Vigneault, uh, going in the playoffs? Is a playoff appearance acceptable? Or do you, can you foresee them winning a minimum one series, at least a series? A lot of it depends on the matchup. And I, 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 I think you and I talked about a year ago almost at the same time. I, you said you think they'll get in, and I didn't just because there were so many teams that had to leapfrog. And, look, it's like I said, it's, it's a very good Metro, and you're probably going to get five teams to the Metro in the playoffs. But I do think they're going to get in. And then so much depends on matchups. You don't want to fall to that second wild card spot. And I know right now it's Boston. I still think eventually it'll be Tampa who's going to finish with the best with the best point total. You want to avoid Tampa. Yeah. As, even though they've done okay against Tampa, but they haven't beaten Tampa. Most teams haven't. I would like their chances a little more against Washington. Now, the Capitals are playing a little better. They, they strengthened the blue line with a couple of trades. The big question is if, if, if Holpe is going to get right for the playoffs. If not, mm -hmm. then I'd give them a better chance, certainly, to knock off Washington the first round. Pittsburgh will be tough. They made the trade for Zucker. They clearly show they're going all in, and Crosby and Malkin don't look like they've lost anything at this time. Having said that, the last eight years that the Flyers got in and played Washington, played Pittsburgh, we just sure. said, well, we know they're going to lose in the first round. Just they got to go five. They got to go six. Oh, the goalie stole game five. All right, they lost at home game six. <laughs> you you feel like this team can go in, maybe the exception of Tampa, and mm -hmm. I know Tampa, Tampa did get upset in the first round last year, but you do get the feeling with this team and with this goalie that they have a much better chance if they start out as an underdog on the road right. to go in and knock one of these teams. Totally agree. Again, to Jonesy's point, goaltending, goaltending, goaltending. And, and if for so, heaven forbid he gets hurt, like I said, Ellie's been pretty. You feel pretty good about year. whoever's who the backup's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Ed Bankin, of course, covers the Flyers for our sister station KYW News Radio and right here on WIP. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. You got it. All right, let's go to the phones here. Tom in South Jersey's on WIP. What's up, Tom? Not much, man. I just got. I just love this team. This, this Flyers team, the way they're playing, they're hungry, they're resilient, and, and they never give up. It, it's the next man up. No matter what's happened to this team, injuries, they, they've always found a way to snap out of it. I mean, they've had their rough patches this year where, you know, after the New Year's break, you know, they came out and they really slumped it. But this this team just looks like a team of destiny. And, and I say that – I. No, I was going to say, Tom, it is amazing how – and you you have the first year with a new head coach. You expect, you know, some bumps along the way. And, you know, you, you say, all right, Vigneault's here. you got to give him a little bit of time, a couple seasons perhaps, so he can implement what he wants to do. My goodness, they've responded, you know, three weeks into the season, they've responded to his tough, no-nonsense, please just follow my system, here is my resume. If you don't follow my rules, you're going to be riding the bench and – for the most part, they've listened, and you're seeing immediate success. 
And that's what the difference a coach makes. That's what the difference where you have a coach that knows what they're doing. You have a coach that says, we're doing this my way. My way is proven. My way is going to work. You do it. We're going to win. And that's what happens when you have a team that gets on board with the coach. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I just I love what I see out of this team. You know, we've lost players like Limblom and, you know, Patrick. We, you know, sadly, we haven't been able to get him out this year. But no matter what, this team is just playing lights out. And, you know, Carter Hart, you, you said it earlier, and you wonder if he's the real deal. Is he not the real deal? I'll tell you what, I think he's the real deal. This kid's been working with a sports psychologist since, I want to say he was 12. He's calmed, he's poised, he's made for the playoffs. If he can just figure out these road woes, this this team's going to go places. If they can just, if Carter Hart can get get his play on the road, you know, under under wraps, that this team's going to go places. You got Connecting stepping up. You got the veterans leading this team. Yeah, no, no, it's it's great, Tom. I appreciate the call, man. No, it's great to see. It's nice to get in the little Flyers talk occasionally. I know that, you know, the Flyers aren't for everybody. I get it. I, I just – and it's funny. Whenever I'm um, – this conversation came up just last week, and, uh, you know, we're sitting – we're covering the Sixers game, right? This is before the game. It's before the uh, uh, the last uh, – the Brook, uh, Brooklyn game. And there's like a – there's a media room where the group of us who cover the team on a daily basis, this is where we get our work done. We have our own little assigned seats and all that, and it's a quiet area. And this is like 20 minutes before the game, and we're kind of packing up our things, ready to go out to the court. And we're getting into a conversation about, you know, just the teams in this town. And I brought up the Flyers about how, you know, the way the Sixers are playing, the Flyers can make a deeper run. And a couple guys that said, I can't get into the Flyers. I just can't. I try. Just hockey's not my thing. And I always pause and I say, here's what you got to do. And it's, this is, I believe this is, you do this, and I guarantee you'll suddenly start liking it. Not everybody grows up playing hockey. Most don't. It's a very expensive sport to play if it's not available near you know near you like the three other major league three other sports are. It's impossible to get into. It's, it's impossible to relate to. Go to a game. Go to an actual Flyers game. Watch I, there is of the four major sports and I truly believe this. There is nothing more entertaining than going to an actual Flyers game. You know, the NFL is different. It might be more enjoyable to watch at home unless you're tailgating because there's so many, you know, it's so, the NFL is so different. Baseball is enjoying you're there for the atmosphere. It's more relaxation, right? Basketball is very intense. It's more intimate because you're like right on top of it, which I love. The NHL, you can't appreciate it until you attend a game, until you see the, the speed of the players, the ferocity of, of, of hitting a guy into the boards, the the, sa- the smell of the ice. You know, it's, it's so different to see in person as opposed to just say, oh, look, the f- there's hockey on TV. I, I can't get into it. If you ever said, I wonder what it's like, you know, I can't, I don't know why people like this, go to a game. I promise you it will change your perspective on things. It's, 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 it's so very unique, and it's something that I didn't understand because, you know, my – my family, you know, I grew up, my family didn't have a lot of money. You know, it's kind of live week to week. We do what we can. I can't afford hockey tickets. Sorry. We go to a ton of Phillies games. You know, once in a blue moon, we might take in a, an Eagles game, but it's all Phillies because it's all we could afford. The very first time I attended a hockey game, uh, a professional hockey game, I was a teenager. And I was kind of ho-hum. I, I was aware what was going on, but I really wasn't totally, I was like, yeah, you know, okay, whatever. I'll check it out. It totally sold me. 
It, it's completely different attending a game and seeing it in person. 888-729-9494, pound 9494 in your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. Two more segments to go, then we hand it over to Paul Jalvis. You want to talk about the Flyers, the Phillies? We're, go, we're going the gamut, which is nice. It's enjoyable on a Sunday evening. Now's the time to jump on board. Our time's 922. Sports Radio 94, WIP, 2020 Sports. I'm Ed Banking. The 76ers are dealing with a pair of significant injuries heading to tomorrow night's game against Atlanta. Ben Simmons left last night's game in Milwaukee as his back injury flared up. He will miss at least one game, that being tomorrow night against Atlanta. Tobias Harris is doubtful. He is dealing with a knee injury. The Sixers will know more about his status as they get closer to game time. Phillies down the Pirates 4-3 in Grapefruit League action. Jay Bruce did his part in a four-run first. 3-2. Jay Bruce. And it's swung on and hit deep down the right field line towards the corner. That ball will be in for a hit. It bounds against the sidewall. It stays in play. Both runs score. Jay Bruce jogging into second with a two-run double. And the Phillies have an early 3-0 lead. That is Scott Francie with the call right here on 94 WIP. Aaron Nola scattered three hits and did not allow a run in two innings. The Phillies will play the Orioles tomorrow. To stream 94 WIP, get our podcast and all the latest stories in Philadelphia sports, go to the all-new 94WIP.com. 2020 Sports on Sports Radio 94 WIP. All right, 927, John Johnson with you. Another two segments. A quick FYI. Obviously, I have Sixers duties tomorrow for the game. Um, I will not be doing any solo shows coming up. In fact, I'll be working with a morning show Thursday and Friday. So if you can, I hope you can tune in for that. Should be an, uh, an entertaining Thursday and Friday morning. Real quick, before I head back to the phones, I wanted to comment on something. Uh, we've been, you know, kind of caller heavy tonight, and we've had guests lined up. And something I wanted to bring up briefly because it's um, a part of my sports life that I miss that uh, was brought back into the headlines yesterday, if only for a moment. It's been met with mixed reviews, but I like it. So late last night, like after midnight, uh, there was a heavyweight boxing match, if you didn't know this already. Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. Uh, Fury won, I think it was the seventh round. I didn't see it. I was here at WIP. <coughs> Excuse me. Anthony Foley was here engineering, much like he is tonight. And it featured, even if you didn't watch it, some of the most over-the-top entrances to this match. Uh, one guy is, is dressed like a king. The other guy just way off the wall. At the end, the winner of the match was <laughs> singing to the crowd. And... I, it's been met with mixed reviews, like, my God, this is ridiculous. What is this, WWE? It's supposed to be boxing, blah, 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 blah. I loved it, and I, and I saw the replay of it. I didn't see it live, and I loved it, and I'll tell you why. Boxing is dead. I mean, it is damn near dead. It is, what, the eighth, ninth sport in this country? You get your four major sports, then you might have MLS, then Ultimate Fighting, then you know, something else, golf, and then somewhere after there is boxing. And I am so glad that the ridiculousness of the showmanship leading to the actual fight itself took such headlines. 
because there are there is such a, a portion of um, and I, I'm I'm sounding like I'm an old man saying this, but of a young, of younger generations who have no idea how great boxing once was, and how it was like it was it. If you knew there was a big boxing match coming up, doesn't matter what else you had planned, you made sure you were going to watch that bout, whether it was and and for my youth it was 80s early 90s. You know it was middleweight and heavyweight. And I, I know it was much bigger, you know, dating back. I mean, the 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 Ali um, Frazier fights were unbelievable. But I, I mean, I, I always thought of myself as almost like a basket, uh, a boxing historian over the years. I remember doing so many school projects and and book reports on, you know, dating all the way back to Joe Lewis and even before that. You know, it's just what boxing once was. And how it was, I mean, I, as again, growing up in the 80s, when, when Tyson came on the scene and you knew he was going to have a pay-per-view event, and at the time, like, $30, oh, my God, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to work my butt off and use my allowance and, and, watch, and watch Tyson fight, even if the match lasted 30 seconds. And you had all the pre-matches leading up to it, and Tyson didn't even take to the ring till well after midnight. But boxing was it. It was the highlight. It was everything you wanted. You know, the, 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 Sugar, the Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler fights, the Roberto Duran. I mean, I could just go through a list of different boxers over the years. And, you know, mid-90s on, that's when it started to fade. And then the Klitschko brothers just faded away into, you know, into the abyss along with the sport. And then occasionally you had, you know, Mayweather bringing it back a little bit. But that's more, I don't know style boxing, point boxing, as opposed to the heavy hitters of what it once was. And although it was only for a moment last night, I hope there was a percentage of those who are watching boxing really with full attention for the first time, that percentage of the fans, who watched and said, wow, I really like this sport. I hope they have more of these big events. I'll check them out. I miss that. I mean, the two guys fighting in this match, I would, they hype them up to be, some, you know, the boxers of 20 years ago would have beaten the crap out of either of these guys. My goodness, the guy who's a winner has got a pot belly. Give me a break. Doesn't mean he's not strong, but, you know, by comparison. But I, I, I miss boxing in its heyday. Uh, and I, I hope there's a time that it, it you know, if, if, if I'm saying it's the ninth sport right now, I hope there's a time where it might be the sixth sport, where it takes a little bit more prominence again and you have more feature guys and it becomes a larger thing. Uh, I do miss it. I, I really, really do. M, you know, MMA, I, it's, I know MMA has become so big. I just, I, I try. It's just, it's, it's too brutal for me. It really is. I, I, you have different styles of fighting. It's just, it's not for me. I'm more of a boxing person. 888-729-9494, pound 9494 on your AT&T Verizon wireless cell phone. Eric and Philly's on WIP. What's up, man? Hey, how you doing, John? I'm good, man. What's going on? Uh, not too much. Uh, real quick, I do want to agree with you on that boxing point. Uh, it, it definitely is a sport that's kind of gone by the wayside. I think because of the uh, – I, I think a lot of people just want to see more brutality like they see in MMA. Yeah. And uh, you really don't see that much um, with that, and especially with the heavyweight fight like last night. You're, you're going to see that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was a heck of a fight last night. I know that much. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, nice, I mean, I guess, it's nice to have it take center stage, if only for a moment. 
And although it got mm-hmm. a lot of backlash for like the showmanship and guys going to the ring and all, I loved every bit of it because it it, it brought back uh, boxing, you know, to center attention if only for a moment. Yeah, no, I again, I definitely agree. Um, I did want to bring a point that we kind of uh, kind of second half of the show being a pretty decent slider heavy uh, type of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you just had uh, Ed on; he was kind of talking a lot about the Flyers, um, especially with the deadline coming up tomorrow. Um, so I guess, like, real quick with the deadline coming up tomorrow, I guess a few guys I was looking at um, who would definitely be interesting. I know uh, they have kind of a tough ordeal with the cap. I mean, they have $2 million that they have to kind of work with, and I don't think they're going to make a big-time splash mm-hmm. just because um, of the cap. And also I think some of the teams, um, especially you're not really going to trade in the division, uh, especially in the Mets um, right. with, like, the Rangers and, and possibly with those guys. But I think a really good player that they could definitely get uh, would be Kapanen out of Toronto. Hmm. Um, I'd be interested kid, in that. 23 years old. Yeah, 23 years old, still under contract with Toronto for the next two years. Uh, under the cap, I think he's maybe a million dollars on the cap. Um, definitely a guy who you can bring in. He's been playing well. Uh, but a guy you can throw in as maybe a second or third uh, line winger who definitely can help you out in the playoff push for right. sure. No, I'd be. I, no, I, Eric, I appreciate the call, man. No, I mean, I, I, when it comes to Chuck Fletcher, the general manager, it's still the early goings with him. And, you know, when he takes over for Hextall and the organization's a mess, anybody who has the cojones to risk trading for the rights to a player, and that player being Kevin Hayes, when you're, you're trading for the rights to him, that doesn't mean anything. He may say, yeah, that's great, but I don't want to play for the Flyers. And quite frankly, I want to test the market because I think somebody can pay me more than you can. Anybody that can have the guts to make a decision like that and get the player you want, he there's more than likely the man knows what he's doing. And he came with such high recommendation. Um, and, and, like, I was – one, I, I will say this. The one great advantage uh, that I personally have – like, I, I fill in and I cover probably 10 Flyers games a year. So I get minimal – contact with the team and coaches and such but Al Morgani you know morning show host for many many years covered the the league for you know x amount of years for the four-letter network and then you know he still does pre and post for NBC Sports Philly I always rely on Al when it comes to a lot of tough hockey questions and uh, you know he still has you know direct contact with the general managers around the NHL and presidents and a lot of head coaches and you know Al's very – he looks at things differently than a lot of us might, so I always turn to him for certain opinions. And when they brought in Chuck Fletcher, um, and I was filling in that day with the morning show, I asked Al during a commercial, I'm like, Al, what do you think of this guy? He's like, I love the decision. You know, he – and he went on – you know how Al doesn't say a whole lot. He said the guy's very level-headed. He understands, you know, situations better than most. He, you know, he's great at figuring out – what is the right amount to spend without going over that and using, you know, and explaining that to players in a way that gets on his side of his way of thinking. So the fact that he came under such high recommendation, not only from Al, but a couple others, um, I I have full faith in him in making the right decisions. And then when you see the team having the success they are, especially under Vigneault and a roster that has had additions thanks to this new GM, I mean, you get, okay, go for it, man. I, I, I have full, your full support. You've done nothing that makes me second-guess you at the moment. Chris and Malvern's on WIP. Evening, Chris.
Hey, John, uh, a big fan, and, and you mentioned the morning show. I love when you're on the morning show and you uh, have that verbal repartee with all those guys. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Um, <laughs> I, I, and you mentioned Al, uh, and, and I, I agree with Al. He, I'm, I'm with you with Al. He just has a unique perspective of the, of the Flyers. But what I wanted to touch on specifically was you don't have to go to a Flyers game to appreciate hockey. My son has been playing hockey ever since Downingtown um, High School, and he still plays in the adult league. Mm-hmm. Go to any hockey game, and 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 if the if if the competition is is equal, you'll enjoy it because it's fast and it's it, it's just it's fantastic. So I just wanted to you know give put that perspective on it. No, no, I and Chris, thanks, man. I'm sure I cut you short running a little late here. No, I, you're right, but I, I'm I was speaking more to the. You know, I like the three other sports. I'm talking to the general sports fan who can find, obviously, football-relatable, can find basketball-relatable and baseball-relatable, but don't have a hockey rink near them. I've never been to a hockey rink. Why would they have any interest? It's You know, if you want to try it, it can be very expensive to try because just buying skates alone can be expensive. Um, that's why I say, you know, try, you know, one night, go to a Flyers game. You know, you don't have to spend a lot. They got those seats all the way at the top of the arena, which is an awesome area, by the way. They're like, I think they're fifty bucks a game. They could they could be less right now, and just check it out. I it's such a unique sport to see in person. It can make all the difference. And if you're like, I don't care. Okay, I'll check. Oh, I didn't realize it was like this. And suddenly you start to pay attention more uh, than you would have in the past. But the Flyers game right now is going to make everybody pay attention anyway. They've been very good as of late. I like Elaine Vigneault. He's someone Sixers fans would appreciate this. He's the kind of coach that Sixers fans want. You know, if Brett Brown doesn't hit the Eastern Conference Finals, in my opinion, the NBA Finals, he's going to end up getting fired, which unfortunately certainly seems like that's going to happen in a couple months' time. And then the search will be on for the next head coach. A lot of Sixers fans are saying, I wish that the no-nonsense coaches still existed, that there was Popovich's still in the world, that there was guys like that that wouldn't tolerate certain things and kind of put guys in place and teach them the you know, a correct standard to play by. That's Elaine Vigneault. That's the Flyers head coach. He ca- he's a guy who's, I don't care who you are, I don't care how much money you're making. If you don't take in what I'm teaching you and you don't play my style and you ignore what I'm doing, and you do your own thing, your your rear is going to get benched. And that's his style. That's how he coaches. And he's very successful at it. And that's the kind of guy that Sixers fans wish they had moving forward with their team. Just, you know, food for thought. 888-729-9494, pound nine four nine four in your AT&T and Verizon wireless cell phone. One more segment to go. We'll talk to Paul Jolivitz in a few minutes. I've got a couple things I want to uh, share with you before Paul jumps into the studio. And then, uh, Paul, take you the rest of the night. Our time's 941. Sports Radio 94, WIP, 2020 Sports. I'm Ed Banking. The 76ers are banged up heading into tomorrow night's game against Atlanta. Ben Simmons had an MRI, and he has had at least one game. Meanwhile, Tobias Harris is doubtful as he deals with the knee injury. The Sixers and Hawks tip off at 7 o'clock tomorrow. To the Phillies, who picked up a 4-3 Grapefruit League win over Pittsburgh today, Gene Segura did his part in a four-run first. 2-1. And it swung on, roped up the middle of base, uh, into center field. One run will score. Romuto around third. They put up the stop sign there. And JT will hold on at third base. Over at first, it's Gene Segura. He's got an RBI single, and the Phillies have a 1-0 lead. 
That is Scott Fransky on 94 WIP. Aaron Nola scattered three hits and did not allow a run in two innings, while Jay Bruce had a pair of RBIs. The Phillies play the Orioles tomorrow. To stream 94 WIP, get our podcast and all the latest stories in Philadelphia sports, go to the all-do 94WIP.com. 2020 Sports on Sports Radio 94 WIP. All right, welcome back. Final segment. Talk to Paul Jollitz in about five minutes or so. In case I forget, thanks to Anthony Foley for engineering. Ed Benkin with your 2020 sports. And, of course, joining us to talk hockey, thanks to Kevin Cooney, uh, who joined us at 7 o'clock, and, of course, our own Ricky Ricardo from Clearwater at 8 o'clock. Uh, the last thing I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about is, is it's wild. It's non-sports related, but I think you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, so today's day and age, right, when it comes to shopping, most of us do a majority of it online, right? It's Why not? It's so much easier. A lot of these companies offer free shipping when you s- spend a certain amount. And then the time of the year, it becomes even easier because it's free shipping regardless. Um, well, as you'd expect, the repercussions of that or the downside of that is, you know, the physical store, the actual stores have taken a huge hit because of online shopping. And so much so that I think I brought this up in a show a couple of weeks back, how it's only a matter of time before malls are obsolete, like an actual mall that you go to. And, and you know, my kids are young, and I, and I try to explain it to them. They don't quite grasp it yet. I'm like, see this mall that we're in now? I'm like, you know, savor it because I bet you 10 years from now, this mall's going to be gone. This mall's been here for 70 years. And, and that's kind of the trend that's going on now because of online shopping. Most people don't leave the house. Well, to try to combat that, I, I, it may be, it'll probably be a losing battle in the end, but a lot of stores locally around in this area, the tri-state area, have tried something different, which I find um, is a, kind of a cool, it's different. Some supermarkets are doing this. Um, a couple shopping malls are doing this. It's called boozy shopping. Yeah, booze. You know what booze are? Boozy shopping, it's called. And... Some of these stores who have taken a tremendous hit in terms of uh, those you know, physically going to their stores because of online shopping have offered, uh, something, you know, have offered this amenity where if you go to their store and shop for, let's say it's clothes, it's a clothing store, they, get, you know, they say when you walk in the door, if you're 21 or older, they say, hey, welcome to our store. Thank you so much. You know, here's a glass of wine. You know, take it around the store with you as you're shopping. Sip on it a little. If you'd like, we'll give you, you know, one more complimentary glass along the way. Uh, and this is not just, you know, one or two stores. There's a, 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 a more than a handful. I was looking it up. There's like two dozen stores in the area that are that are trying this out. Uh, and the same thing in certain malls in the area, which, you know, you look it up, you'll find it. It's, it's called boozy shopping where it's kind of sponsored by certain malls where they'll say, you know, oh, here you go. Thank you for coming to our mall. We realize our attendance has taken a hit. You know, would you like a glass of, you know, white wine, red wine, or it might be something else. I don't know. I don't think beer is available, but it's usually wine along that palette. You know, here you go. Thank you so much for coming here. Sip on this along the way. And a couple supermarkets are doing the same thing. It's wild. I, I, I think it's a losing battle in the end. And that, you know, more and more stores, although the name might exist in online shopping, you know, going to an actual store and shop might disappear because it's just, you know, you're wasting money on rent when nobody's coming to your stores anymore. They just order everything online. 
Uh, but it, it's just it's unique in a different way to attempt to tr- to attract people back into an actual store. I know I myself I, I try, man. I because I, I always think like anytime I'm on a highway, I, I use the same example when I'm driving and it's a toll road. Although I have an easy pass, there are times where I will put it away if I have cash and go through the actual toll booth and pay the attendant working the toll booth because they're slowly dwindling and dwindling. Now it's like two lanes and the rest are easy pass lanes. And I hate seeing that because it's people losing their jobs. And, you know, the, the, the toll commission, whoever, you know, PennDOT, whoever's running the toll booths, they just make more and more and more money because they're still charging people and there's nobody actually working them. And that's always bothered me. Uh, and the same thing can be said with, you know, shopping, with online shopping. And, and there are a handful of websites I buy out so much from, like, you know, like Old Navy. I buy a ton of clothes from Old Navy because I have three young kids at home. And they're when you have a lot of, you know, when you're buying for a lot, they're, they can be very affordable. And although it's so easy to go online, I'll still find occasionally I'll say, all right, let, we're going to the store. Let's go. I hate doing it. I hate it. But I realize if I don't, more and more people lose their job. More and more stores close up shop uh, because it's so much easier to click a few times, you know, hit complete order, and then a week later it shows up at your house. I realize it's easier, uh, but sometimes easier isn't good in that sense because it's, you know, it can affect some people and, and their employment. All right, so thank you so much for joining us over the last four hours. I hope we, uh, I hope it was informative. Uh, we keep our fingers crossed for Ben Simmons. Uh, we will, I, I would suspect, uh, tomorrow, right around 5.10-ish, maybe 5.15, uh, you will find out more about Ben Simmons, hopefully earlier, but I would think at the latest, right around 5.15 tomorrow night. Uh, if you're on social media, if you're following me, uh, you I will be tweeting out something that has to do with Ben Simmons and getting an update on his health status. I would suspect, unfortunately, it's. It, I don't think it's going to be good. I'm hoping it, it you know, be, uh, you know, oh, okay, day, you know, game or two, and we'll get back to you. Uh, but the fact that no information was divulged today, and it was more, oh, by the way, he's not playing tomorrow, uh, and may, you know, and we'll let you know what's going on uh, with him more tomorrow night. Well, joining us in the studio. It's a one Paul Jolovitz. What's up there, Paul? Is there two Paul Jolovitz? Uh, no, I, I believe there's one. <laughs> well, there's there's more than one Jolovitz, but you're the one and only Paul Jolovitz. Not that many more than one, but, uh, yep. So what's going on Don't there, Paul? Else. Is there Paul, another you, John Johnson around? Uh, you, Paul, you, wouldn't, you, you would think I'm lying. So the best way to tell this story is um, when I signed up for Twitter for the first time. Okay. I'm like, all right, well, nobody's got my name. I'll just put John Johnson as my username. And you're a J-O-N. A J and even better, J O N. Yeah. Um, there's about 500 people with my <laughs> name on Twitter alone. In the world or in Philadelphia? Uh, on Twitter alone. Oh, just on Twitter. Okay. And so th- that's why I had to when I did my Twitter handle, I had to do John Johnson W I P. Sure. Uh, so I couldn't just do my name, which I found mind blowing that I'm not alone, Paul. Not alone. Not alone <laughs> in this world. That's true. 
So uh, you, uh, you know, a little, little boozy shopping, Paul Jolovitz? Little uh, no, no, no. It's a, I can I I can imagine your style of thinking. I don't drink alcohol. Right, so you're not you're not to, me to me. Right, you're you're just encouraging more people to drink and drive, even if See, it's one drink. I don't like drink. it. I don't want people drinking and driving around. I don't sure. care how much people drink. I always say drink and do whatever drugs you want in the comfort of your own home. As long as you don't get in the car, I don't care what you do. Have fun, enjoy life, do whatever you do, but not in a mall where you're going to be driving afterwards. No, I totally agree. Now, Paul. Um, I, I discussed many things tonight, but the first 90 minutes or so were very heavy Sixers, and, and I got a lot of feedback about it. Um, I, 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 what were your thoughts on what you saw last night in Milwaukee? What, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to give away your show. No, it's okay. I mean, obviously, it's tempered a little bit by you know when Ben Simmons walks out after five minutes. Uh, it does two things. It, it it pretty much sets the tone of the game, and you know what's going to happen. But it gives the Sixers a ready excuse which I don't like. I'm not a big excuses person. Obviously, teams have injuries. Stars get hurt. Right. But they just folded last night, Johnny. I mean, you you can have – you you see teams that don't have guys, and they rally, and so-and-so steps up. Obviously, the Sixers – every team in Philadelphia, it seems like we're the injury capital of the world right now with the Eagles. Flyers aren't that bad, but the Phillies last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not a big Ben fan anyway. He's a very talented player. Maybe the, the – it's hard to describe this, but the most talented non-factor I've ever seen in certain kind of games. Yeah, yeah, it sounds right. In a, in a slow half-court setting, he doesn't work out. But I didn't think the Sixers were going to win anywhere last night. Mm-hmm. But nor did I. But <coughs> what you saw in that second half was disgusting. Yep. It, 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 I mean, Better that's word. the way. That's how I describe it. It was disgusting. How many guys just folded up tents. I think they just decided the we grew. don't have Ben. We have no shot. We're mm-hmm. just going to play Monday night against Atlanta, and then Tobias, of course, got hurt, and yada yada yada. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think title anymore with this team. John. I think the Flyers have a better chance, and I can't believe I'm saying this, to win the Stanley Cup than the Sixers do to have the win NBA title. I don't think the Flyers have a big shot, but I think the Sixers have very little chance because everything has to go right. Everything. Yeah. And if something doesn't go right and it doesn't go right often, they're not the team that, that steps up under adversity and wins one for the Gipper. But it's so disheartening to hear. <laughs> and, I mean, it's it's a compliment, but so disheartening in the same in the same sentence, obviously. But but Joel Embiid's the best player in the world, so we don't have to worry about yeah, that. That's what I hear until <laughs> until things don't go his way and he starts to check out. How yeah. Do you call yourself that? LeBron. I, you, I don't care who you are. You don't ever say something like that. It's first of all, it's an egomaniacal thing to say. And second of all, it puts the bullseye on your head. Right. The first time you don't have a 75-point, 91-rebound game, what happened to the best player in the world tonight? It's just it's ridiculous to say stuff like that. It makes it too easy of a target. You're it's absolutely right. It's called immature, right. and that's what this team is. So uh, I, I think we're getting a hint, a taste of it. Well, what's, uh, what's on tap tonight for Paul Jolovitz? I think we're going to talk a little bit of everything, Johnny. I, I want to talk about the fight last night. Did you see the fight? I was here. I, saw the, I ended up watching a replay this morning. Very interesting fight. People who call Deontay Wilder the hardest puncher ever, it might be the single dumbest thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. It's not a huge thing with you know boxing and Deontay Wilder, but there's a guy named George Foreman, Mike Tyson, a couple people sure. have something to say about that. Yes, they're all um, line one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're going to talk about the Flyers a little bit. We're going to talk about the Miracle on Ice, the greatest sporting event ever. It was named the greatest moment, sporting moment of the 20th century by Sports Illustrated. I don't know if it was better than the Eagles Super Bowl, but it was in that ballpark. Uh, if you're a patriotic American, because if, if you were alive, you don't remember that game, do you? I do not. 
we're gonna. Have I've seen some... obviously seen the replay a hundred times, and yep. to to further paint the picture of the movie Miracle, which I hear is, although it's Hollywooded up very a little, good. it's very it's cl- as close to accurate as it was possible. Done by Penn guys, you know that Gavin O'Connor, right, the right, yes, football team I did directly. know that, yeah. And um, it, it's the one sporting event, I guess you could say, like the Jets and the Colts was kind of like this in Super Bowl three for the AFL. But you kind of had to be there to feel the impulse. It wasn't a sporting event. It was during the Cold War. It was so much more than that. Mm-hmm. It was a bunch of kids from you know colleges around the country beating the, the best team in the world, a team that had destroyed everybody in the NHL except for the Flyers three right. years before. Right. We're going to talk to Jimmy Doyle about that tonight. Jimmy's the Flyers replay judge. Nice. We're going to talk to him for a few minutes about it. He's going to tell me about a lie he told me for 30 years that I finally got him to change his mind on, and, and, and that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about a little bit of everything tonight. The the free agency and the Eagles, the seventeen game schedule, whether you like that or not. Mm-hmm. Obviously playoff changes in baseball and just all over the place. Sixers and Flyers heavy too, yep. Okay. All right. Paul Jalovitz is coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Thanks to Anthony Foley for engineering. WIP Sports Ooh. Time. Anthony Foley. Is that his name? Yes, it is. Okay. R- write that down. You hey. have to thank him at the end of the show. He does a superb job. He does. He is your engineer. But he won't be at the show. He is what will make you sound better than you are, John. That's true. Love, Anthony. <laughs> WIP Sports Times, 9.59. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.